Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, the Indigo Angel, Jennifer Sosha. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. Keep it rolling, baby. There we go. We are all together again in the Indigo basement. Apropos, as we are talking about a band we love to speak on, I certainly love to speak on. It's just time. We're talking about it. The infamous record, Results May Vary by Limp Biscuit. We're going to talk all about this record today. We talk about these songs. We talk about the documentary that they made about the making of this album. We even got some stuff from me about some criticism about this album. We got a lot. We're going to dig all into it. Are we hyped? Are we ready? I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Okay. Before we get to that, though, we've got to talk about who's tweeting. Who's tweeting? Who is? And more importantly, Jenny, who's repping the roach? That would be Shifty Shellshock. Repping the um, roach. He's repping the roach on good company with bowling. I was stunned. I got these photos sent by good friend Scott Bowling. Shifty Shellshock holding our shirt, repping the roach. He said that he likes the name of our show and the premise. He has not heard an episode. Oh, good. <laughs> May he not start with the Crazy Town episode. Uh, listen to the Disturbed app. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 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 We've never done anything. <laughs> We've never sold a million copies of anything. At the same time, though, there are so many people in your band. It is a town. It's yeah. a town. I do. That was during the time that we were very harsh. We were very harsh. But... I uh, I shouldn't say this before I go back and re-listen, but I don't think we were unfair. No, I think I think we were all right. But I'm yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> go back now. But thank you so much, uh, Shifty Shellshock. And of course, thank you to Scott Bowling, good company with bowling. He does have that interview coming up, so definitely check that out. And also he has an interview coming up with Mikey from Islander. Huge. Huge. Yes. Apparently they're they they he was telling me new album eminent. I'm ready. We're ready. I'm ready. Our bodies are ready. We also got to talk about who's recommending. Who's recommending? Oh, that is Nick Buffalino. He mm-hmm. says, quick suggestion. I think someone requested the self-titled album by Down the Sun way back during the Queen of the Damned episode. It's a beast of an album. The dude's vocals are absolutely vicious. I'd have to say they go hand in hand with American Head Charge. I hope you can get to it eventually. Thanks again. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Great suggestion. And then... Uh, you know what? It's the new year. Twanu, twanu. Twanu, twanu. Twanu, twanu. More festivals popping up. And one that, you know, with a name like this, can't go wrong. Rockfest. Rockfest. Tagline, <laughs> where we just rock. Oh, boy. Oh, oh so boy. So you don't have to do a lot. All right. Do you know how I can't wait to uh, see that writer's room. Guys, we're Rockfest. What do we do? What's our tagline? Uh, rock and roll and so much more. Um, rock and roll and coke and colon. Guys, what do we do? We just rock. What do we do? We just rock. We're overthinking. You're right. You're right. We just rock. Rockfest. Rock yeah. Yeah. And then the green lightning that's throughout the top of the poster <laughs> struck and rock fest. This this poster is a results may vary ode. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah. Good point. Very similar colors. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, is at Cadot, Wisconsin. Am I saying that right? 
Uh, I think so. I don't know. Let's go with it. July 16th through the 18th, 2020. Jenny, run us down some of your highlights from this lineup. Uh, we've got Disturbed, Slipknot, Anthrax, Limp Biscuit, uh, Queensryche. <laughs> Not really getting top billing, but you know, I like Queensryche. Mm-hmm. Uh, those would be my my top picks. How about you, Lauren? I mean, definitely Slipknot, definitely the Biscuit, Papa Roach of Mice and Men. For some people, Stained. Let's see who we got in the fall. Okay, so there's a band in the small text mm-hmm. that is trying to do some category name fraud at a level that I got to admire. Their name <laughs> is Nivrana. Nivrana. If I'm looking, N-I-V-R-A-N-A, Nivrana. I haven't heard a note. Mm-hmm. Don't know what they sound like. Well, I got to see now. Okay, Matt's going to look up Nivrana. Oh, I would be remiss not to mention that Fozzie's also on this lineup. Gotta have Fozzie. Gotta have him. Who else is on this thing? Band called Strange Days. Bad Wolves. Steel Panther. Wild Street. That's, I don't know why that one's funny to me. Wild Street. What type of street is this? Wild Street. Uncle Daddy. Uncle Daddy. What day are they playing? Wednesday with <laughs> Queensryche and Slaughter. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Stitched Up Heart. Um, oh, there's also going to be some wrestling. And the whole thing is hosted by someone named Lou Brutus. Does that mean Lou is going to intro every band? I think, I don't know. Not every band, certainly, but. That'd be a lot of work. The, the headliners. Mm-hmm. Or maybe. I mean, it looks like maybe it's, it doesn't say how many stages. Like, mm-hmm. It's got to be at least two. Ooh, on the Saturday date, you got Chevelle, Hollywood Undead. Also, Gemini Syndrome, Hero the Hero, and then once again, mentioned many, many episodes ago, this band called Rachel Lauren. (laughs) Well, that's probably just about your life. (laughs) Probably. Oh, boy. So, Matt, did you happen to find any Nivrana? Let me tell you, that is a terrible Google search name. (laughs) Google's like screaming at you, you meant to type this. Exactly, because I am in Nirvana Central. So, oh, okay. They're a tribute band. Well, then I guess it's a great name. Okay. Does that mean that the other band next to them, Jet Threat, is a Joan Jet tribute band probably? Not? Well, they're, <laughs> they're threatening jet, her. <laughs> they're a Jet Grind Radio Joan Jet based cover band. Ooh, that might be a pretty good show. Nivrana was born out of the desire to bring the music and memories from the early 90s back to the present. Nivrana is for fans because it's founded by fans. We bring authentic Nirvana to music venues, bars, outdoor events, festivals, and fairs. So fans can relive one of the greatest eras of in the history of music. Okay. All right. Okay. I was not aware that they would normally book tribute bands at a festival like this. But you know what? At Rockfest, where we just rock. We just rock. Purely rocking. They're not saying we don't do covers. Fair enough. Godspeed, Nivrana. It doesn't sound right when I say it. My mouth is like, what are you doing? We also got some dead feedback. Dead. dead episode. Listener Reed said, hey, dudes, do that. That's us and you, Jenny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I pieced it together. I'm pretty smart for a broad. Uh, I discovered you're, this. You're the dudette. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I discovered this podcast over the summer and have been listening every day to try to catch up. 
I've listened to the White Pony episode three times already because I gotta. Wow, thank, well, thank you. you. And I'm excited for more Deftones albums to come. So when you inevitably cover the self-titled album, you should check out the song Plasticine from the band Vexes. They're a new band who really capture that Deftones sound. Also an idea to swing your way while I'm on the topic of Deftones. I think it would be cool as hell if there was a month in the spirit of the Russ Robinson month dedicated to our favorite sensual boy Chino and his side projects. You already have four weeks worth of material. Check it. Deftones self-titled or Saturday Night Wrist, Team Sleep self-titled, Crosses self-titled, Palms self-titled. Just an idea. I thought doing albums outside of new metal was a pretty cool thing since I love bands like the Blood Brothers and At the Drive-In. Keep slamming posers in the pit, y'all. Thank, Thank you, you, Reed. Thank you very much. I'd At, love to do a Chino month. Oh, a Chino month. That'd be great. Oh. Oh boy. And you know what? Everybody would also really love it if we just did a whole episode a whole month of Chino that was barely new metal. People would love that. I think <laughs> everybody wants some new metal for a little while. Yeah. And you know, you gotta keep in mind how much we listen to this stuff and sometimes mommy needs a break. <laughs> uh okay. Michael Newton says Matt Noss, I gotta say though, man, it was great to hear you activate the pit in record time. <laughs> Feels like it's been a minute since that happened. And when I heard the activation, my ears perked up. You have a gift, my friend. Thank you very much. Timothy John Henderson said, Man, this was such an unexpected breath of fresh air. Never heard of them before, and it was such a pleasant surprise. Great start to November. Oh, man, this was a while ago. It was. Uh, Josiah Russell says, okay, damn, this album blew me away. Head blown emoji. Warning signal emoji. Jeffrey Thomas says, I just want to point out how much I appreciate hearing the samples at the beginning of Disassociate. They are from the Gravediggers Bang Your Head, which is RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan's horrorcore rap group from 1994. Anyone who samples them has my instant approval. So excellent work, dead. And finally, over on Instagram, Coach Mike Picks says this album is a masterpiece. Look at all that is great about new metal and made it their own. Welcome to the canon, but not Korn's first album. Of course. <laughs> wow. Wow. Just snuck it in. Well, snuck it that's in. That's fine. A hug with a knife between the ribs. Surely. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. I'll take that knife. Uh, we deserve it. Thank you so much. We do. We do. Uh, thank you so much for writing in. Keep on saying hello online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email, roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com with your recs, your, uh, your ideas for theme months that have nothing to do with new metal. Tell us all about them. <laughs> We're all ears. We're all ears. Uh, but let's talk about the album of the week. Talking about new metal. It's Limp Bizkit. Results may vary. Jenny, when did this album come out? This album was released on September 23rd, 2003. That's the down, y'all. So we have the down starting on September 11th, 2001. Correct. But in a lot of ways, some people feel that September 23rd, 2003. Is the true beginning. The true comedown. Hmm. 2003, to go, you know, widescreen for a second a lot of records came out that year that sort of were the end really signifying the end of an era so you have limp biscuit drop this deftone self-titled corn take a look in the mirror take a look at the mirrors 2003 2003 holy cow okay i know i'm missing somebody else oh and uh lincoln park meteora all 2003 so 
you have sort of where where are the state of things with that? You have you have corn trying to regroup. You have Deftones, apparently running super late. That apparently that record was super delayed. This record that we're about to do super delayed. Lincoln Park's record that was also delayed. I was like, oh, wait. So you know everybody's sort of I don't know in this weird state. So Jenny, history with results may vary. So listening to it for the podcast was the first time I actually listened to the record. By the time this came out, I was oh yeah oh baby was i done i was like in the like denying that i ever liked new metal time probably yeah this was like my sophomore year of college when this came out um i was aware of the cover of uh behind blue eyes (laughs) and um i definitely did not think that this was cool oh matt it sure is um i was very familiar with the whole uh britney spears fred durst controversy because i'm a big britney spears fan Mm. um so i was very aware of that whole thing but beyond that at this point i think that Limp Bizkit was kind of a joke to me. And I don't think that I was alone societally <laughs> in that um, ungenerous, I would say, like maybe an ungenerous take, but that's where I was with this. How about you? So I was, you know, still, I was still deep in for the Biscuit, and they hadn't put anything and I'm, I'm following stuff. I'm aware of the Britney Spears stuff. I'm aware of what's going on. I'm, I'm also aware that Wes has left the band, which is, you know, very i was like what what's gonna happen what's gonna happen with this so i was you know definitely paying attention to when this record was gonna come out picked it up day of release at kmart sault st marie michigan it was my senior year of college picked it up with what ended up being a, a, a bit bigger of an album uh speaker box love below by outcast i also got a limp biscuit poster did i send you that did the Limp Bizkit. No. Oh, okay. I'm gonna send it to you right now. I got Thank this Limp Biscuit poster, and I was like, "Cool, Limp Biscuit poster, great." And uh, I put it up in my uh, my dorm room, and my buddy came in, and he Ooh. goes, "What the <laughs> fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And the thing is that looking at it now, it's not a great poster. It uh, it does look a little um, lazy. I guess is maybe the word. I'll send it over to you, Jenny. But uh, yeah, I bought this album when it came out. I wrote about it for my school newspaper, which we will get to that review because I found it. I may not be able to read it. I may have to have one of you read it. Don't worry. We're here for you. And um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember having an impassioned conversation about this album during lunch with a person that I'd never met before and never saw again. Like he was a friend of a friend sitting at lunch in college. And I think I was just like, you heard the new Limp Biscuit? He's like, yeah. I was like, let's chop it up. Let's talk about this record. And I think we were both talking to each other about like convincing each other that it was better than it is. Like, I think I think one of us may have said the fateful words. It's a record they had to make. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Which is funny because I remember making fun of a guy years earlier. I met a guy. I remember these, these random conversations. I met a guy at some like college orientation. And I remember his real name, but I remember his nickname was Wolf. I may okay. have talked about this. That's gentleman. a great nickname. I, I may have talked about this guy before. His name was Wolf because he had a neck beard. You know what? <laughs> and, I like Wolf. And, um, and, and uh, somebody said, Wolf, what's your favorite band? 
and this is like 2000, late 2000. And he goes, Oasis, 100%. And I was like, still? And he's like, listen, standing on the shoulders of giants, that's a record they had to make. And I remember him saying that and being, he said it very forcefully. Also behind him, a giant bonfire. So it's like extra gravity to his words. Yeah, very wolfy. But then thinking about it later, I was like, what, what type of line is that? Do you just try to manipulate things? And then three fucking years later, there I am talking to a complete stranger saying to that guy, oh, Limp Biscuit Results Me Very, an album they had to make. Be the hero long enough mm-hmm. see yourself become the villain. <laughs> You Matt. either die the hero <laughs> yeah, that's or live it. long <laughs> enough to become the villain. That's right. Matt. Roach coach. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh, Matt, history with results may vary. Um, it will come to longtime listeners as no surprise that I was done with Limp Bizkit in 2000. I was not <laughs> even caring at all. When I found that they lost the most interesting part of the band in West Borland, and this is my this is my venomous 2003 self. Um, I was like, they're gonna try to do it without that guy. Dumb. Apparently, you didn't watch the doc. I did not watch the doc. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So there was a special. It was a five part documentary. I believe it was five parts. I think you're right. Uh, that was run on MTV the week of release in which MTV had spent, sent a documentary crew to follow around Fred Durst and Limp Bizkit for the entire making of this album. I want to say the time span of this is literally... Years. Years. At least a year and a half, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it seemed like it was... The intention, maybe, was to have it follow other artists through the studio as well. It seemed like yeah. something that was like, I can't, what was it called again? It's called Album Launch. Yeah. Um, it had a very interesting in 2003, like, title sequence where they were showing different billboards. But the, the billboard that they kept showing that made me laugh was, will they meet the deadline? <laughs> and I don't know why, but every time I saw it, I looked over to Sweet Mitchell and said, will they meet the deadline? Will the fans react? Will the fans react? <laughs> How will the fans react? Will they meet the deadline? Um, and it did seem very tenuous, actually, toward the end. So they may have decided on those toward the end. But this doc was oh a really great companion piece. And, um, of course, we have to talk about put your guitar where your mouth is. So, yeah, so this was a promotion <laughs> that... They did. When Wes left the band, Fred said, we're going to go and we're going to find, what was the, the, what is the quote? Like, we're going to find the sickest guitar player in the world or something like that? <laughs> Pretty much. I have. Oh, you have it? Well, I have his interview, but it's like. To Limp Bizkit. Now, here is a huge rock band right, that has right. scored back-to-back number one albums in the recent past, True. but their future. Not- <laughs> Sway. <laughs> this is the MTV sway be like. Never count him out. He's always had an interesting approach when it came to his career. And even now, he's going on tour to find a replacement for Wes. And you never know who it could be. It might be me, it might be you, or it might be a neighbor from could next it, door. But could it be me? Sujin, it could be you too, as John Norris reports in our chart story of the week. John Norris. John Norris. Welcome back, bud. So I guess there was this huge contract that was like, if you brought a riff and they liked it, Limp Biscuit could keep the riff and not compensate you. Sounds fair. Sounds totally above board. 
I don't see any way that could go wrong. But you'd get the pride of knowing it's for exposure. Yeah. To West Borland. And as you can see, when one of the biggest bands in the world takes out an ad that says guitarists needed, there is no shortage of applicants. <laughs> I really believe there's an unsung hero out there. Ain't these dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, when the documentary starts, although does the documentary really ever start? <laughs> does it start? Does it stop? Am I still in it? I don't oh, know. man. It seems like it's just a Fred Durst fever dream. It really is. It, it has yeah, an incredible amount of filler. But also some things that are very interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't think in the way that they're intended to be necessarily. Watching this in the time, watching this in the prism of 2020, it's insane to think that this was all straight ahead, like serious in 2003. Like the intervening 17 years have made this just insane. I don't even know if necessarily like it's hilarious. It's just that also Fred just delivering 90% of the things he says in a flat monotone, but all of the thing, like it doesn't matter. It'd be like, I got a kid. It's the best thing in the world. We're going to have the dopest record. Sometimes I like to just run around and flip. I make my assistant wear speedos. This is the whole thing. His job is to be hilarious. And it's like, I, it's not even that it's like, it's not even that it's hilarious or that like you, uh, it's just sort of absurd. And it is sort of like, because I was like college age at this time, like it, it sort of made me like think back to like what was normal then. Right. And I think watching it now as somebody in their mid thirties, it was just a very different watch than it would have been. I, I'm not even actually sure how old they are in this. Yeah, that's a good question. Let me see. So Fred Durst is born in 1970. He's 49 years old. So he would have been 33. All right. Too weird. <laughs> he was being way too weird. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, wow. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll talk all about this. Um, so, uh, Jenny, who's in Limp Biscuit on this album? Uh, on this album, uh, we got DJ Lethal on turntables, keyboards, samples, and programming. Fred, of course, on vocals, concept, art direction, cover design, guitar, photography, producer, composer, lyrics. This is a Fred heavy production. Uh, our boy John Otto on drums, percussion, beats, and he's one of the composers. Sam Rivers on bass, composer, and some guitar. And eventually, they do land on Mike Smith. Of course, you might uh, recognize him from Snot. Um, he winds up being their guitar player. Doesn't figure in the documentary till much later. We've got um, one of their... Uh, producers i think or an engineer one of the engineers whose name is a uh, michael elvis basket comes in and plays guitar fred tries to play guitar 
for a while. For a while. It doesn't. For a while. I have to say, he's he's certainly not as bad as he could be. Yeah. He's not like when Lil Wayne grabs a guitar. No, like when Lil Wayne holds a guitar, it's sort of like, this may be the first time he's ever held a guitar. Fred, he understands the, How basic, the guitar works. basic structure. And he does a few things where you're like, okay, yeah, but he doesn't like... Paul Mute. No. Yeah. Sweep arpeggio. But there, there's there's a part in the doc where he's like, I'm the guitar player, and that's how it's going to work. And everyone's like, sure. And then Sam or whomever, or yeah, uh, Mr. Basquette is like, yeah, yeah, just hold it like this. And I remember thinking, the clout. The clout. Like any other band. If you're like, all right, we lost your guitarist. Lead singer is going to play guitar. Is going to play guitar. Anyone else would walk in and be like, well, this isn't going to work. But Fred's like, I'm going to do it. And everyone's like, sure okay it's really it's really weird on a number of levels because on the one hand there's this whole vibe and it said several times if we can do this with wes we can do this without wes a lot of like we don't need wes they say that a whole bunch of times in Mm -hmm. the beginning of the doc at the same time you can see specifically Sam being a little bit like you can get the vibe that he sees that Fred can't play guitar, but the way that he says it in the documentary, I'm pretty, I'm like 95% sure with Sam says like, well, when Fred does something, he wants to do it perfectly. So he's been taking guitar lessons and he wants to be a perfect guitar player. And it's so it's like really like, couched in this thing of like well he's a perfectionist but you can see that it's not necessarily going super great later in the documentary you hear john and sam and fred talking and they say well you know it was just us before wes came along and then we get this sound bite that's saying that wes doesn't like rap he doesn't like rappers and that was a big part of their sound and he never liked it. So there's like this sort of tension of like, well, it's really like defensive about mm-hmm. that. They don't need Wes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also kind of see that they know that it's not working, but at the same time, they say that they've auditioned something like 10 to 12,000 guitar players and 10 of them, made it to actually audition for the band. And of those, none of them worked. So then we get the engineer Elvis that comes in and plays some guitar. And they're like, okay, this will work. And they're like, yeah, Fred has these great ideas for riffs, but he just can't, he he has them in his head, but he can't get them out. So it seems like Elvis was a conduit for that. So I thought that Elvis was a guitar player for a long time. And then much later in the documentary, it seems like maybe a year into making this album. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They bring in Mike Smith and they're like, yeah, he was one of the 10 and we just decided to bring him in now a year after he auditioned. So I don't remember if it was the interview that Wes did with Toomey or he West did a number of interviews during that run. Yeah. A few a year or two ago. In which he said that what had happened that people didn't know was that they he quit the band and then they basic the the label basically shackled him and tried to force him to come back and they kept get, offering him money telling him all this stuff and he I don't remember how many millions he says he turned down but he said and he's like he feels kind of dumb but at the same time he's like I'm principal I couldn't come back but there was a thought 
and I believe if I remember the timeline that Wes put on the interview, there may have been an expectation in that time frame that's they're not going to mention that maybe Wes was going to come back. And I have a feeling that there may have been an idea that part of this doc would be that would be the big money part of the doc is Wes comes back and Wes reinvigorates the record and yeah. it's the triumphant return. I think that may have been an idea behind it. And then Wes held firm and they were like, shit, we got this de- We got this date. And I have a feeling they, they, so they go on the summer sanitarium tour with Metallica and Linkin Park. <laughs> the interview that they did with Lars was just incredible. <laughs> Love to see Lars pop up. <laughs> and so I have a feeling that because the way it, it plays in the dock is as if one day somebody walked in and said, oh, by the way, you guys, um, great today. Uh, lunch is coming at noon and you're going on tour with Metallica and Lincoln Park in like three weeks. Okay, bye. And they're like, what? Like, that's not how these things work. Contracts have to be signed. Things have to be talked about. Venues book. Venues book. Logistics are huge. So clearly this tour was booked with the thought Wes is going to come back or we're going to have this lockdown. And then time just ticked away, ticked away, ticked away, ticked away. Because I believe when they go to that press conference, Mike's not in the band yet. Mm, is th- he? He is. Oh, he is? He is, okay. yeah. He's nervous. Because I remember he talks about like being nervous and they're basically like, t- they basically tell him not to fuck it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. They jokingly are like, don't blow it. <laughs> but don't blow it. But also, please don't blow this. You really can't afford None of us can afford this. Oh, I'm, I'm overlooking the first debut show. Yeah. At WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Where they play Rollin' and Crack Addict, a song that does not end up making the album for good reason. Mm-hmm. Not a good song. But the crowd seems to like it. They say it's the WWE's favorite band. They do. They do. Which I believe that has not wavered. I believe that is still the case. I asked uh, Sweet Mitchell if he knew if that was still the case, and he did not know. So Who could have possibly taken the WWE's favorite band mantle now? Who? Nobody. That's right. Thank you. You're right. You're right. It was a foolish question. Um, so we'll be talking about this documentary as we go through the album. We do have a physical copy here. As I said, I bought it day of. This album art really lets you know that this is the Fred show. Yes, it's it's green. It looks like kind of like a night vision camera. Mm-hmm. And it's Fred screaming. Or about to take a big bite. Of something. Mm. But I think it's probably screaming. Mm. I'm just throwing out possibilities. On the inside, we've got some textures, some lyrics, uh, some photos and thank yous. We've got lots of mean mugging here. We've got a... So I sent you the poster, Jenny. So that's an, I think that's the same variation on the poster. So that would have been the poster I had up in my room. All right. Let me see here. Uh, I'm going to look for this poster. But uh, this this all group yeah. photo, okay, yeah, looks like they're trying to make Mike. <laughs> yeah, this is a rough poster to hang up in your room. Um, <laughs> I had framed Scarface posters in my room, so I'm not. <laughs> uh, oh no, Matt's really losing it at this poster. <laughs> It's, oh, buddy. It's, it's oh, certainly no, no, of no. a time, but we've got Fred sticking his tongue out. It grabbing his crotch. Grabbing his crotch. Yeah. 
funny. And everybody thinks it's super funny. John Otto's laughing. Looks like DJ Lethal's laughing. Oh my god. Sam and 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 good old Mike are trying to hang in there. Matt, are you okay? Don't knock over your glass. So you're telling me you would wake up every morning, and this is one of the first things you would see. It uh, it was it was. I had it. You're gonna you're gonna die. You're gonna die. I had it. Okay. Don't so, tell us it was near your bed. <laughs> well, okay. So, in my when you walked into my dorm room, as I remember it in my memory, um, on my right side of the room was my stereo and my TV. Okay. And then it would be just wall to window. And then the other side, other wall was my bed, yep. dresser, and then on another side wall was my desk with my computer on it. And I had posters up all around. Above my bed, if I recall correctly, was at the drive-in. Okay. Relationship of command. Um, I believe I had a Radiohead poster. I think I had an Army of Darkness poster, maybe. Had to have. Me, 2003. Gotta have an Army of Darkness poster. Um, and I'm pretty sure I put this poster, because it was not as big, because it was a Kmart promo poster. I think I believe I put it over the stereo on the wall. So wow. it was over the stereo. So when I woke up in the morning... I probably would have seen it pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> quick. <laughs> oh my God, man! Wow. Oh man, you. Uh, this is why you are the dean of new metal. Because <laughs> I got the Limp Bizkit free poster from Kmart and was like, putting it up, <laughs> putting it up, celebrating easily top five corniest posters I've ever seen. I mean, I had you know what I I didn't have any Limp Bizkit posters before then, but I'm like, oh, I'm definitely putting up the one for the album Wes isn't it. <laughs> Really? Where everyone, where the poster of like looks like an outtake, like oh yeah, this looks like do a funny one, and of course Fred's first reaction, <laughs> grab my junk. I it is like if you did your senior photos, and the let's be goofy and like pretend to eat your diploma, and that's the one they put in the yearbook, and that's the one that like your grandma got, <laughs> like yeah. And I will say maybe Mike got kicked out of the band because he is the only one in this uh, photo that is not wearing either a cargo short or a cargo pant. Also, he's got floppy hair. He does have floppy hair. He looks like somebody that I would have had a crush on in 2003. Yeah, I could see I could see you. He's kind of skinny, floppy mm-hmm. hair, some like sparse tattoos thrown on there. You'd be like, what's the, what's Mike's story? Yeah. What's going on with Mike? Mike Smith, he's also just like a vague enough white guy that I would have been right. like, hmm, maybe there's something there. <laughs> there wouldn't have been. Can we talk about DJ Lethal for a minute? In Absolutely. This picture? Absolutely. Yeah. He looks like he's about to either chortle really hard and he needs to cover his face or sneeze. You can't see his eyes at all because he's wearing a brimmed hat. Mm-hmm. He, he does not look great. It looks like a... <laughs> He, how how did this get past lethal? Like, at what point does DJ Lethal say, "Hey guys, I look terrible in this picture. Can we choose another one?" I don't think Lethal has much pull. I don't think Lethal has a ton of pull, but also I think Lethal is. I mean, as we know, he did leave the band for a bit due to the band kicking him out for substance issues, uh, but he is now back in the band. But. Um, in the documentary, Lethal is, I'd say, the most, as much as Fred Durst definitely is 
perhaps too laid back, all things considered. No one's more laid back than DJ Lethal. And on the set, when they make the music video, DJ Lethal is literally like asleep on like a truck. And Fred Durst is like screaming, where's Lethal to win? Where's my DJ at? To when a guy working on the Limp Biscuit music video goes, what's your DJ's name? Yeah. <laughs> I felt that was honestly the most chilling part of the entire documentary. What's your DJ's name? Wow. <laughs> there was a lot of of chilling moments <laughs> there are a lot of chilling moments um we should talk briefly um about the critical reception for this album it was not good i'll just read from the wikipedia section okay. critical reception of results may vary was mainly negative the album received quote generally unfavorable reviews on metacritic with a score of 33 out of 100 it is the third lowest score on metacritic above only two albums Bloodhound Gang's Hefty Fine and Kevin Federline's album Playing With Fire. Well, that's another Britney connection right there. Indeed is. Um, general reviews, all music, one and a half stars. Alternative press with a shocking zero out of five star <laughs> rating. Whoa. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a C minus. The Guardian gave it two out of five. Someone named Martin C. Strong. Don't know who he is, but he managed to get attribution on Wikipedia. He gave it a four out of ten. Enemy, two out of five. Observer, one out of five. Q Magazine, Alone Dissenter, four out of five. Rolling Stone, three out of five. And um, over at the Compass, Lake Superior State University's college paper. October third, two thousand three edition. Jenny, I'm going to hand this over to you. If you okay. Want. The 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 unknown dean of new metal at the time decides to write. Yeah. His own review. Yeah. So I wrote a review of this. So this is in the entertainment section, uh, and it's called "Limp Biscuit Makes Strong Comeback." This is by Lauren Kozlowski, staff critic. <laughs> Which man, this newspaper had no idea what was coming <laughs> for him. <laughs> Uh, Limp Biscuit has spent much of their career telling us how much they suck, which is interesting because they're pretty good. But on Results May Vary, the band's first new album in three years, they want us to know that they really don't suck and they want us to like them. For the most part, they're still worth liking. The band was struck by a major blow in 2001 when guitarist Wes Borland quit, leaving many to wonder if that was the end of rocking for the band. And for a while, it seemed like it was. A much-publicized guitar search failed to yield anything for the band, and many fans became impatient. Is RMV worth the wait? For the most part, yeah, it is. The band's solid, consistent, and thankfully aware of the current musical climate. There's a decided lack of raps and more actual singing. We learn how Fred Durst has been underneath the gun and working so hard. There is the occasional track of an amateur posing, but these are few and far between. There's an earnest honesty to the album with a feeling that there is a need to prove that the band can write songs of substance, which isn't to say these songs are all that deep. Tracks like Phenomenon, Head for the Barricade, Take all the haters, uh, Take on All the Haters, which has always been a popular LB song topic. But how about the singing? Fred Durst will never be accused of being a great vocalist, but there's something oddly appealing to his choruses. His layering of vocal tracks adds a smooth, solid sound that plays nicely. The rest of the band sounds good, too. 
Sam Rivers and John Otto showed that they were just as integral to the band's sound as Borland ever was, while requisite new guy Mike Smith fills Borland's shoes by not copying him and doing his own thing. With this album, The Biscuit is Back. Lauren, you said that this was a very cringy thing that you I wrote. Couldn't, I honestly, as you read it, it sounded better, but I started reading it the other night and I had to stop myself. I don't know. Maybe it's just... I No, I thought yeah. that was like a very... Uh, it's a straight down the middle review. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like <laughs> very intensely bad. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be like yeah. the boys done it again. I think I think what threw me was uh, when I, I, I wrote... Uh, Oh, I know what it was. I said, leaving many to wonder if that was the end of rocking for the band. That was like, I saw that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, like, I... anyway, yeah, good job by me on yeah, that one. Yeah, great. So, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I gave it, I gave it, did, did I give it a glitter grading? Letter grade? I don't know. In any event, so those were the critical takes on the record at the time. I think it's time to uh, dive into this bad boy. Let's do it. Uh, the first track is called Re-Entry. Step right up. Step right up, everyone. Whether you're good or bad, happy or sad, whether you're an emotional wreck or a blissful speck in this black hole of an existence we call life. Step right up and witness something you will be soon to never forget. Feast your ears on the most ferociously soothing waves of sonic communication to ever be created. Built for you by the master. Built for you by the master. What is it? What is it? Uh, yeah, dog. What is it? Matt looks what so upset. Is it? Dude, chill, man. It is Lump Biscuit. going to start with you because you've never heard that before obviously i've heard it many many times jenny you heard it when you did your listens what were your feelings what were you what were you expecting what paid off what didn't so my first thought was like did they call icp Mm. that was my first thought because this felt like okay are we going to get one of the jokers cards is Mm that's what's going to happen here yeah um and then we get voice altered fred durst as a little kid Mm mm-hmm um and i'm like uh-oh uh-oh something's wrong there is a feeling that i had that's like oh no they're too self-aware look back at the intros to the previous two albums right you wanted the worst you got the worst limp biscuit 
and then they come in. But in this one, it's like a severe overcorrection of this like carnival barker being like, "You've never heard anything right." Like, like this. here's the best. But but then but then it's overblown. So you're, so the thought is maybe it's a joke, and then you have the Fred Dur like the little kid Durst coming in to sort of I don't know deflate him a little bit. But the Barker's still like, no, here they are, Limp Biscuit, And then yeah. we get this kind of like final cut music included Ooh. Um, riff. It just feels like it's the backing track to, you know, working your... here is fun. You know, oh, like, oh, you so, know. oh, I was thinking like, like a choose your fighter. Uh, Maybe. It, it could be like that, but basically like industrial video, not industrial music, but like mm. an industrial video. For a real like for, for Guitar Center. Oh that's no, that's what's going to be on in the background. Ooh, Jenny, what do you think of reentry? Um, I don't know. I the the top was rough. The what is it? Mm. What is it? This album? Yeah, <laughs> I know that was what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, I I agree with you. It was a pretty like it was like a fine riff, but pretty generic. And it was really interesting to see how some songs that you you hear Fred kind of trying to work through in the documentary, like where they actually place. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the things that we hear him singing in the doc that I was like, what is this going to become? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's this. I, I don't think it's like a hot open at all, but it also does, I think, set the tone for the album pretty well. Mm what do you think? Well, I'll go to my notes. Please do. Uh, which I said, after two albums of self-deprecation, now they're hyping it back up, coming in hot with this riff, LP is back. <laughs> it was interesting how I wrote in my review in 2003 that I felt that um, Mike Smith was kind of doing his own thing. On my listens now, it it is noticeable how they could have done more to his guitar to make it different but there does seem to be i don't know if it's an after effect move or something like that that they don't skew too far from wes's sound necessarily they could have gone in a really different direction there's a lot of pedals out there as we know a lot of filters a lot of strings as many as you want as many as you want as many as you want and I think at one point, like we don't like Head was playing with them for a minute because Head played the 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 WrestleMania set with them. Yeah, what Head's at Head's on that set. He's Where? on the other side of the stage. Yeah, yeah. I know you. Listen, Fred has taken all the camera time on that. Yeah, thing. yeah. I didn't even realize. But Head is there. Head from Corn is there. So yeah, there there were a couple things. But I yeah I I always I mean when that riff came in I mean for me I was like sure yeah. Let's do it. Biscuit's back. Let's rock this thing. I realized we failed to mention we did not talk about what the genre tags are for this album. Oh, right. So the genre tags for this album are new metal, rap metal, rap rock, and alternative rock. Producers on this record. Got a handful. Uh, Terry Date, Fred Durst, and Rick Rubin. So the Rick Rubin one is weird because Rick Rubin is not in the documentary at all. He's probably asleep. He's definitely <laughs> napping. Definitely <laughs> napping. And in the liner notes, there are a number of songs that say original production done by Rick Rubin. And then redone by Fred or redone by Mr. Elvis Besquet or what have you. So I, I'm, 
I'm wondering what happened in those Rick Rubin sessions. I mean, clearly they pulled something out of it because they had a few songs that made it. Um, but yeah, just uh, a lot of things. And you only see Terry Date like once, I think, in the whole doc. It's and, right at the end. Yeah, very briefly. And I think he even was like sort of making fun of them a little bit. Like, yeah, because. Not Terry Date great, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no. So. Uh, it's at the very end. Fred is trying to get out his lyrics for the last song that they have to record before they go on this big summer sanitarium tour. And Fred's like, cause then I'm going to come in low and then I'm going to come in high and then it's going to layer with that. And it's going to layer with that. You know what I'm saying? And Terry date is just laughing. And he's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and it warmed my heart. Um, um, yeah. So, I did find an interview with Terry Day, and and it was almost like an AMA. And somebody was like, "Okay, so you've worked with a lot of people, but like Limp Bizkit, like come on." And he's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "Love those guys. They're passionate. They're true. They're true artists. They know what they want." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I wouldn't work with somebody if I didn't like them." He's like, "So Limp Bizkit, hundred percent behind those guys." Yeah. So. And that was like not like from then. It's like recently. So. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, in. Uh, I found a couple things about Limp Bizkit splitting with Rick Rubin. It looked like this happened in like very early 2000. Um, it says we're just not recording. We're not recording with Rick Rubin anymore. It just didn't work out. We gave it about a five day week or so. We're going to do it ourselves. We've written two songs and they're fat. It's feeling really good. Everything's good right now. And I'm really happy. I wanted to drop on July 4th. Limp Dependence Day. Think about it. That's Fred. Um. So limp dependence day. Yes, yeah. limp dependence day. All right, so everybody listening, I just want you to brace yourselves because we're about to go into songmeetings.com. Hold on to your hats. Mm-hmm. Hold on to everything. All right. If you need to pause the episode to have bars built into your home to hold on to. All right. We get it. Reasonable accommodations is what we call it at my job. All right. You got to do what you got to do. Over on songmeetings.com, we got a comment from Half Fast. That's Half Fast, who says, This song is actually called Rear Entry. It is about how Fred Durst likes to take it in the ass. Mm-hmm. That's what we're in for, everybody. And then Indigo Angel 69, <laughs> January 18th, 2020. <laughs> Oh, wait, is this just now? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Posted, got him. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't remember there being a reply to this. <laughs> yeah, it was me just now. <laughs> uh, apparently, the thing I was just referring to may have been Rick Rubin working on the hot dog flavored water i don't know well i mean who knows how old these songs are you know songs carry over true true and maybe this is another case where they had these songs and they were like hey wes what do you think of these ones and he's like nah nah, i'm back more like we need more like boiler yeah yeah exactly dutch oven agreed with you jenny and said lmfao i do like limp but that was a damn good diss yeah my gotum was more like you idiot, <laughs> but um, you know, I I would say I I was disappointed that they don't have in the doc the decision to like what the conversation was for introducing the carnival Barker intro, 
and him recording the like pitched down little kid vocals? Like, what was that conversation? Because it's not like the carnival theme runs no through this at all. And if it did, that'd be weird. I mean, but at the same time, it would make. I mean, because you think about how they have the interludes on the other albums that are sort of these DJ things that tie in thematically a bit. Mm. Not so much here. Not so much. All right. All right. Up next, you've got the first single from this record. It's called Eat You Alive. I'm just going to go back over to Mr. Matt Nas, Mm -hmm. get his reaction, because this is, Matt, this really is a true blind spot Limp Bizkit for you. Really? Absolutely. Through the course of this 160 plus shows that we've done, Mm -hmm. I have really turned a leaf over a new leaf, uh, new metal for the most part. Um, This one takes me back to the early days Uh there's Mm. where it's just vitriol and i'm like i don't understand this it makes no sense to me fred durst can't sing what is happening i just don't like it (laughs) and it doesn't and over time three dollar bill significant other and chocolate starfish have wooed me Mm-hmm. Where I've come along and I've listened to them on my own volition. I have come to the place in my life where I'm like, I like Roland. I like Nookie. I like uh I like Boiler. Mm-hmm. I like um Counterfeit. That like legitimately like them. If you put them on right now, I will listen to them nonstop, won't stop it at all. Like those songs. This comes on and I'm like, please turn this off. I cannot do it. And I don't know what it I don't know if it's because it's missing charm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, Matt. That's the kindest, harshest insult. That is that is. I think what you're missing is charm. Yeah. A little bit. Well, there's something. Talk about like, no, we're serious. I feel like part of the charm of those first three records is. Are they serious? And now, and you know, like, well, we're terrible. We suck. And then when they come out and they rip your face off, now they're like, and I know we're two songs deep and it's way too early. And it's my first time listening. I get it. But like, fucking hell, man. Like, I've listened to enough records to know, like, (laughs) I know where this is going. And we got fucking 16 more tracks to go. Jenny, I'll go to you. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of hope, Matt. So, two of those songs are like hidden tracks. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but that's all I can offer you. Um, so I, uh, the first time I heard the song, I really didn't like it at all. Um, after watching the doc and listening to it, and I, I listened to this one actually four or five times because I was like, I don't, there was something about it that like, wasn't, it wasn't staying with me. It was like, I was listening to it and it was flying out of my brain, Mm. which normally I'm fine with, but Mm. I was like, I need to remember this album. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's a bad song. Um, I actually, I like Fred screams in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are pretty good. It is weird that it's, it is weirdly serious for them. And that's something that I think comes through a lot in this. And you hear a lot of when you're watching the documentary, Fred's talking about how like he actually really, it like gets to him that people don't like him. And he wonders how long it'll be until you know, he's not a joke or he's not like the hated guy, which in 2003 probably seemed like it'll be a few years and people will get over it. Man, <laughs> I am sorry, Fred. It didn't happen yeah, yet. Yeah. Um, but this song uh, kind of highlights a weird concept throughout this like album and throughout this time. It's his like bizarre fascination with some specific women um specifically angelina jolie is a big one yep um britney spears of course is Mm. a big one and uh it's just like this he's got this weird thing going where he's talking so much about and it'll come out in like later songs as well but he's got this whole thing going where he's talking about how he just wants to be in a relationship with somebody and he just needs to have that relationship energy and like the attention of a woman is like such a special and important an attractive thing to him. woman an attractive woman that comes up yes it's got we need a we need an attractive woman or <laughs> no like, uggos please no he says we need like a hot chick in the studio we need the energy but <laughs> it's like you know when you need that hot chick energy I, it's hot girl summer hot girl energy <laughs> it's it's totally weird like he does not see any piece of the hypocrisy of him talking about no. like how he needs this specific kind of woman. He says the thing that always makes me burn with the fire of a thousand suns. It's hard to find a woman with substance. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not even a little bit hard to find a woman with substance. It's not hard. Um, but he talks about, so this is a video. This was like their, their first video. This video was like featured pretty prominently in the documentary as well. Thora Birch is in it. This poor Thora Birch has to like what a trooper. sit while Fred screams at her for like hours. Do you catch the part in the doc? It's very quick where she is asking for like character motivation and story, like what the story is. No. Oh, yeah. It's very brief. She's sort of like, so what am I doing? I'm just sort of sitting. And he's like, yeah, you're sitting. And you've just sort of taken me. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, okay. All right. Like, and I was just like, a pro, a true pro. She's like, I'm in the Slim Fisket video. I'm apparently a captive woman. Check's going to clear. Seems like it's a union gig. <laughs> okay. But yeah, still like, it just made me think like, oh, you know, when people show up to this, I mean, what's the direction? She's looking for direction from Durst and he's giving it to her. Well, yeah. and he weirdly mentions her earlier in the doc and I'm not sure how it was edited, but it's like he's talking about Angelina Jolie. He's talking about like all these women. And this is the part where he talks about having to find a woman with substance. 
And he mentions Thora Birch. He does. He's like, yeah, Thora Birch, like someone with like substance. Isn't Thora Birch like, isn't she like the same age as us? So wouldn't she have been like 23? She was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. She's around our age. For sure. Well, so was Britney Spears. So is Britney Spears. Yeah. So. So I don't know. It's very weird. This single that was released uh, contains the song Just Drop Dead. Which is the single, the single that was not put on this album, but was released in response to Britney Spears saying that she didn't really know Fred Durst that well after he was saying that they had dated. This whole thing. Let's talk about this. She would have been like 20. She's 37 now. Well, in 2003, I mean, she's she's born in 1982. Okay, then she's the same age as me. So she would have been 22. No, she would have been 21. We're doing some new metal math here yeah. right now. And Fred's in his 30s. In his 30s. Um, so so we should talk about this Britney Spears thing. We just got to talk about it. So I remember when it was all going down that summer, it seemed to me like Fred Durst was just naming names in, in, in public with the hope that someone would talk to him. You know, like yeah. the same way of like the Missy Aguilera come and get some. And then she's like, uh, no, we did not have sex. I just want to clear that up, you know, like very much. So then when he was talking about Britney Spears, I mean, I remember I was still catching TRL and so I was like, oh, now he's just trying to do it with Britney Spears. But then you watch the documentary. It's pretty clear him and Britney Spears were hooking up. Do you doubt that? Um, I don't doubt that like they hooked up, but the way... The way that he talks about it, uh, maybe I'm just coming from a place where I'm like, oh, I fucking get it. Like, mm-hmm. you hook up with a guy, and then he's just like, wait a minute, we're, like, together. We're, like, this thing. And yeah. uh, granted, it's been a long, long time since I've had to deal with something like that. Yeah. But, like, I think that he is that level of, like... I don't think he knows what he wants. I think he probably was really into her and she did not reciprocate. And Mm -hmm. I think that like we see that he has a really fragile ego and it's like really soft actually, which I don't think is a bad thing except that he's trying so hard to pretend like he's not that. And like when his ego gets damaged, he just loses his mind because there's this whole really painful scene where he like clearly rents a private jet to go to Sundance to like hang out with her and like brings his friends and then they approach her and she kind of blows them off. And then he's like, fuck this Sundance sucks. They're not even there for a full 24 hours. They go to like bars. He's like, this fucking sucks. Then he comes back and he's in like the studio with Christian Slater for some reason. One of the most incredible cameos. He's like, because you don't see him initially. You just, Fred's just in the booth and he's like, I see her. And she just, doesn't even acknowledge me. Can you believe it, Christian? And then the camera pans, and then it says about Christian Slater. And I'm like, what? Where? <laughs> oh, and you never see him again. No, it's just for the one second of Fred complaining about Britney Spears. But it comes up a bunch. What do you think, Ben Stiller? So this is the thing, though. that This perfectly captures so many like 
this is just like a perfect encapsulation of it because he starts hanging out with her. He, you hear him talking to everybody in the studio about like how he's hooking up with her, how she comes out and a little like nighty and her like butt cheeks are hanging out. And he's like giving too much information, bragging, talking all this shit. And then she's like, yeah, no. And he just loses it. I mean, it was painful to watch what to me was like an obvious him like flying like a jet out to see her and like probably impress her to have like this private jet and everything. And then her be like, "Eh -eh." yeah. And then he says that she's calling over and over and over again. I don't think she is. I don't think she is. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Jenny Jenny would like you to pass her the phone real quick. Then then he tells this story about how like, she's about to go like meet up with Justin and get back together with him. Yes. And then he's like, no, you're not turn around. No, you're not turn around. They go to Tahoe together. And then they go to Tahoe together. I need receipts. (laughs) And then who does she wind up dating? She winds up dating some like other like, kind of hunky guy that's like not oh she went no no she went to um the swat premiere with colin farrell right yes and then he's like i'm done with this whore and then he like never shuts up about it he's working out talking about britney when he's like it's too bad i liked that girl (laughs) true this is a hundred percent real (laughs) i cannot stress this enough we are not exaggerating this is exactly what happened i was just like dude she wasn't into you yeah, that's a pretty painful way to find out. And it probably wasn't like the most like straightforward, like, hey, I don't think I'm interested in this. But his reaction. Would you say the way that she responded to being asked about having anything to do with him on TRL? Do you think that was like extra, like that really lit it up, though? I think that 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 felt more almost more vicious than all the other stuff that was just like behind the scenes. Um, I mean, I felt like it was kind of cold. Yeah. But I also don't have a lot of pity for somebody who's going around basically bragging, Mm. oversharing that, like, you're Mm. sleeping with this young woman, Mm -hmm. uh, you 33-year-old creepo. (laughs) And he's, like, bragging about it and talking all this shit. So it's sort of like, bro, did you, like, not, were you not begging for this? Because you're talking all this shit like it's in the fucking bag, right? Ain't in the bag, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Good night, Fred. So (laughs) did you listen to the Josh Peck interview with Fred? I sure did. I don't know if you did. I did. No, I did not. In it, um, and this is from last year. Last year. uh, He has a pretty candid conversation with Josh uh, pretty much about this time. Yeah. And he pretty much gives himself a persona called Red Hat for who he really was at that time, where he basically started to be this Fred Durst character in order to not be that shy, you know, the regular person, (laughs) like the person Mm -hmm. who is a tryhard, is a this, is a that. He put on this bravado that became red hat and he talks about the britney britney relationship that he honestly really did like her and they didn't spend a ton of time together maybe had a few dates is 
kind of my recollection of yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he plays it down substantially. Substantially. And I think, I mean, excuses are excuses, but it did seem to be a bit of a situation, I think, of like him building up this coverage, this persona, as it were. But also, he is surrounded by a lot of yes men. Right. A tremendous amount of yes men at this time. And so I think, obviously, he doesn't have those yes men anymore. And I think that's probably given him some new perspective on things, maybe? A little bit? Well, he said, like, they were feeding that personality that he had created, and then it just became his personality. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, where it's just like, did you listen? Oh, boy, I can't believe I'm going here. Did you listen to uh, talking about our sleepy boy uh, producer, friend extraordinaire? Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. He has an interview with Andre 3000. I did not listen to that, no. In that interview, there it's a really great conversation. And they basically get to this point where, like, when you're struggling as an artist to make it, you think that getting there is going to fix all the problems. Mm. And it, a lot of people have said that, but they say it in a very interesting and unique ways. Uh, but actually what happens when you get there is the problem still exists and then you have a bunch of new problems. Mm. And I kind of feel like that happens to Fred here where he's kind of like, he's from, well, he's from South Carolina, I believe. South Carolina and Jacksonville. Yeah. Then to Jacksonville. Yeah. And then makes it with this band, then becomes the biggest band in the world, then has a million seller in the in one week, and then his right-hand man in the band leaves, but he's still, like, the guy. Every fucking album that he was, like, stained, puddle of mud, cold, they all sell. Everything right. that he is, like, that's good, becomes a number one seller, and he's surrounded by people that are just like, hey, this gravy train, we're going to ride it. Right. And they're like, go, do. But there's still that part of him that's like, I can't keep any relationship going. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Jenny. Keep I going. just have an idea about why that might be. <laughs> <laughs> is it because <laughs> is it because in the second verse he says, No doubt that I'd love to sniff on them panties now? That's part of it. <laughs> the song that he wrote about Britney Spears called Just Drop Dead. Uh, says uh, let's see what the fuck is going on who do you think you are bitch I ain't some puck ass dealing with your drunk ass uh, he tells her to drop dead you act like a whore just drop dead I totally can like understand what you're what you all are saying about like how he had all these yes men it's this whole he thing he didn't deal with his shit and we have to deal with what that is. Yeah. He had pictures of Angelina Jolie hanging up in the studio that he was kissing. And then he goes, oop, caught me. <laughs> oh, it's like... You caught me, Matt. So caught me my giving daughter a kiss. hates this. Yeah. <laughs> She's literally trashing your house right now. <laughs> it's So I would not want to be captured in no. that. I, I don't know what it would feel like to be in the position that he is in. I would not want to be captured in it, but there was something about watching him talk about how the most important thing for him is this like relationship with a woman and like being inspired by that. I am assuming it's the mother of his child never really says a word and it's just sort of like around occasionally. 
well, I think there's a shot one point where there's a woman, but her face is all blurred out. So I assumed that was the yeah. mother and she wanted to not be a part of the documentary. Yeah. And I just like, and then just to he- hear this shit and hear how he talks about women and like the songs that he writes. I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing about a woman with substance. Probably not hard to find. <laughs> not hard to find. Not gonna but, sit around, but for impossible this. <laughs> to to attain when you act the way that you do. Yeah, and you know, I absolutely have had phases in my life where I have said that I wanted one thing, but behaved in a way that would not be conducive to having the thing that I said I wanted. Mm. So I can't completely condemn him, but you know, I'm a Britney fan. There, that, he there came is. for my girl. That's true. Come for the queen, you best not miss. That's right. I uh, I wrote in my notes. Um, yeah, I wrote down about the panty sniffing line. I believe at one point this album was supposed to be called Panty Sniffer. That was one of the titles that was floated out. Could me. you imagine if they had actually called this album Panty Sniffer? So, yes, during production the album t- the album's title changed from Bipolar to Panty Sniffer, and then to results may vary. Other working titles, and I have to give them kudos for not sticking with a working title. I'll give credit where credit's Credit where due. it's due. Uh, less is more, fetus more, surrender, and the search for Teddy Swoes. So, Teddy Swoes. I don't know. I I don't know that Teddy Swoes. I mean, that's the thing that he said on previous albums, right? I think that's like a lyric. Maybe I don't know. Roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what Teddy Swoes is. Um, yeah, God, I mean, I, I do remember a time when it was like, yeah, it's going to be called Panty Sniffer. Be ready for that. And I was just like, oh, boy, yeah, here we go. That's why. Um, yeah, I also wrote down the lyric where he's, he's yelling, so sorry. And then in like the underlying vocal, he goes, damn, you're so hot. And then when you put in the whole Britney Spears thing, and then honestly, watching the doc and they show Britney Spears when she's on TRL and she says that she doesn't know him, it's literally peak hotness, Britney Spears. Like, just, I don't want to say this is fine, but just imagine that, like, you did get with, like, the hottest woman in America, and then she went on national TV and said, Matt Nas? No, I, I don't, don't know him. I don't know him. Don't, don't know him that well. Sorry. Uh, Lauren's memory, like a steel trap, recalls a line from Indigo Flow, <laughs> where indeed Teddy <laughs> Swoes I knew it. is wow. thanked. You wow. never forget a Teddy Swoes. You never forget it. Um, I think that yeah. if you hook up with the hottest woman in the world, yes, and she says she doesn't know you, mm-hmm. and it hurts your feelings, yeah, that makes sense. That's pretty cold. Mm-hmm. What you don't do oh, is, is write a song <laughs> that calls her a whore and says that you hope she dies. And then don't stop talking about it for mm-hmm. a super long time. Credit where it's due. He didn't put it on the album. Was that up to him? I guess a lot of this was up to I him. I feel like, honestly, I got to say. This is peak Durst. This, this feels. There is, I think, one moment in the documentary where somebody tells him no. And it's when Jimmy Iovine shows up and listens to the album. And Jimmy Iovine, let me tell you, that guy, what gymnastics he had to do to say, your bands, ex- your, your fans expect this, and you're giving them this. So you should give them this. Yeah, you it, sound like a whole band. You sound like, a, yeah, they expect a whole band, and you want to give them a whole band. And Fred's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, what 
is Jimmy saying? And then he goes back and it's like, yeah, we're going to re-record the whole album. Is that what he says? Well, I understood what he was saying. What he was saying was that he listened to the songs that they recorded before Mike got there. And then he heard the songs that they came up with with Mike. That sounded like a whole band making a record, whereas the previous songs sound like not a whole band making a record. So it seemed like Fred briefly agreed and then was like, we're redoing the whole album with Mike. But then, so they record a whole other album with a month left to go before they have, like, will they meet the deadline? Um, <laughs> they don't. They don't meet the deadline. <laughs> I always want to stress that. This album was, in the WrestleMania clip, you, the voiceover goes, it's our favorite band who have an album coming out this summer. Mm-mm, no. Yeah. No, so, they don't. So, yeah. But then it sounds like they went and, like, took that advice for a little while, but then completely threw it out. Because mm-hmm. most of the songs, I guess, that they went back in and re-recorded with Mike were not featured in this album. No, there's a few. There's a song, Sad, Didn't Make It, In the Dock, Didn't Make the Album, Masturbation. We didn't get it. We didn't get it. Lost to time. It might be. There is a... Lost to time. There are a few special editions. There is it on the special edition? What's on? I'm not totally sure. Oh, we got it. How could there be more songs? <laughs> I can't. So Matt, there's always more songs. Yeah, <laughs> we are two songs into well, this. Oh, just oh fuck, we better get going. Okay. <laughs> um. Um. Did I have? I just wanted to remote. Yeah, I, I did mention in my notes though that yeah. Um. The guitars on this seem a bit more rock than new metal. Um. It's not as chuggy, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. Wes's style. Doesn't have Wes's style. And I wrote that Fred is what they say, horny on the main. Um, <laughs> and uh, which is, I mean, what does that mean? You never heard that before? Horny on the main? You never heard that before? Thankfully, no, but okay. now it's in my life. Uh, so it? basically, it can apply to any sort of so- social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. So you can be like horny on the side, meaning like you're sending somebody like a text or something like that, or just speaking with them directly. But if you go out on social media and like post up like something that's like very openly like looking to hook up or whatever, or just being very openly sexual in that way, it's called being horny on the main. I see. A, a lot of people have gotten in trouble for this celebrity wise they they call it like when people like older celebrities will like some girl will like some not famous person will like at reply them and it's like her her icon is like her and she's like a 20 year old girl and then they like it and they start following them and they'll accuse i won't put anybody on blast like james franco yeah james franco would be somebody well uh, james franco though isn't isn't horny on the main though because he's not on social media (sighs) but like it'd be somebody i i don't want to put anybody on blast but there have been people well didn't um Matt and I don't mind. I guess we're gonna put somebody on blast. So the well, no, the one that I'm thinking of is when um, oh my lord, I have one if you need it. The one that I'm aware of. Well, the one that I'm thinking of is okay. You can do whatever you want to embarrass me. No, it's okay. Uh, who was the pet detective? Ace Ventura. Jim Carrey. Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey <laughs> made that weird ass video. I sound so dumb when he said that. No, he made that weird ass video uh, for um, the redheaded actor actress from uh, La Emma La Land. Yes, yes. Stone. He made that weird love confessional video. Yeah, that's for, co- that's being horny on the main. Absolutely. The other one that's come up is Andy Richter has been accused of being horny on the main because he will like at reply like if like somebody and he, their icon is like like they're like a hot girl or quote unquote hot girl like he'll like follow them and like people have noticed that a thing and then he got divorced recently and some yep. people have said that that is because he was being horny uh, on the main. He addressed this on his podcast. Oh. He did not say horny on the main. He just said that 
uh, people accuse him of doing things that he's not doing. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not getting on Twitter and looking at you. He was being horny on well, the Well, let me know if I'm not allowed to listen to Andy Richter's podcast. You can still listen anymore. to Andy Richter's podcast. Um, songmeanings.com. Only a couple comments I wanted to mention. Uh, Joanna, winky emoji is her full screen name, says, hmm, this song makes you want to have sex a little bit dirtier than normal. Ha ha. Or is that just me? Because just you, Joanna. Three up votes. Three up votes, though. Three. <laughs> well, Indigo Angels 69. It's a real, real honk if you're horny situation. <laughs> and uh, the other comment I liked was from Player1916, who said, I'm pretty sure this song is about eating some cha-cha. Like from his point of view, <laughs> he's looking at this chick and thinking, I'd eat her alive instead of talking to her. But yep, folks, Eat You Alive is about eating pussy. Rest easy. Rest easy. Chomp, chomp, choo-choo. <laughs> eating that cha-cha. <laughs> eating that cha-cha. Who doesn't love to hear that, oh. right? Oh. Sploosh over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real splash waterfall situation. Uh, Matt, I'm going to need you to put some tarps down. <laughs> you got it, buddy. You're at the splash zone. Oh, oh boy. Eating some cha-cha. That's so <laughs> All right. Well, I got to shave my cha cha. All right. Let's move on to track three. We're going to be here for a minute. Uh, it is. Give me the mic. you copies watering down shit you hate to see it you hate to see it but also isn't this a watered down version <laughs> of Limp Bizkit yeah buddy oh man mm. it's it's almost like meta commentary well you know this was the album that they had to make they had to make it Matt though you know what do you I... want to talk about this in front of a bonfire do you want to just break this down <laughs> bring wolf bring wolf, <laughs> into this. Bring wolf i wonder if wolf still goes by wolf oh gotta gotta once you've got that once college you go nickname wolf. you can't get rid of it i had wolf. a i had a student in one of my improv classes definitely not the same guy mm. but his name was wolf he went by wolf mm. Cybersecurity guy oh okay loved him All right. um as much as this is just kind of a whatever song it is at least fun yeah. and bouncy mm-hmm. um I don't think this album is as bad as it was reviewed so far. I think we're only three tracks in, believe it or not. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think that coming off of the one-two punch of Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish and how those albums were world beaters sales-wise, but also did get them a little bit more... 
critical, I don't want to say critical acclaim, but definitely a little bit more critical love than I think people necessarily wanted to give because it was so big and it's that thing. You know, it's so popular. Some people may not feel so inclined to go after the behemoth because what's the point, right? What's the point? But Wes is gone. Blood's in the water. Floods in the water. Fred's also not doing himself not doing any him. favors no, the no, no, way no. that he's presenting publicly. And at this point, you're not here. I mean, this whole documentary we were talking about before, you barely hear a peep from anybody else in the band. Yeah. No, this is the Fred show. I believe even the Wikipedia makes a point and says, this is the band's only release under the sole leadership of vocalist Fred Durst. So even, the you know, and also... It's the only album with, uh, it's just his face in the cover. Mm-hmm. What is, I mean, you might almost argue this is going to be like Fred Durst's solo record almost. Well. A little bit. We should mention, sales-wise, it debuted at number three. 325,000 copies sold first week. I was one of them. It did eventually go platinum, but... Um, 1.3 million copies in the United States, but well below the sales of Chocolate Starfish and Significant Other. So quite a quite a dip. Quite a dip. The people uh, had moved on. We we were talking before the show started. 2003 spin list, number one, White Stripes, Elephant. The True, true. I mean, plus also it came out the same week as Speaker Box Love Below. I mean... Hey, yeah, was omnipresent you gotta wonder was there somebody at mtv who said we commissioned a documentary about the making of what album <laughs> the week that speaker box level is coming out but they commissioned this documentary way years, years, oh, good point. years before years before yeah so at that time it would have been it let's say they're recording this when are they recording this 2001 2002 2001 2002 yeah, yeah so if we're to believe that they started recording this one. Yeah. So it was recorded August, 2002 to January, 2003, and then May and June of 2003. So at that time, I mean, it probably seemed like a decent, I'm, I think in bet. 2002, it seemed like a decent bet. I'm sure as it dipped into 2003, people were like, uh Oh, <laughs> And then it's just like, we've got way too much money in this. we got to roll it. I, I like to think, where are the letters of the camera guys writing to their families? Month seven with Fred. I miss my child. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy misses his, his children. <laughs> I've, I've taken Dallas as my own. Um, there's only one comment I want to mention on songmeanings.com. It's from commenter, eat shit, mm-hmm. all caps, who said, good song. Anybody that disses it can eat my shit and die. There it is. There it is. I like that straight ahead. Hey, I hope that I didn't even check to see if if that was his like mo on all of his comments. I'll look With into it. With the name it. like eat shit, it's gotta be. It's yeah. gotta be. Um, play that card. Uh, you got uh, a card. You know it. what? Um, I went in. I looked at some of his other comments, and we're just gonna get out of there, <laughs> and we're gonna right. just move on. Yeah, that was a scary door to open. <laughs> oh boy! All right, up next, mentioned in Lauren Kozlowski's review, uh, song "Underneath the Gun." Sometimes I have to be my own worst enemy. 
Yeah, buddy. How you feeling, that moody boy? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. It's okay. It just is. It's missing something. It's not what you come to Limp Bizkit for. Right. It's Jimmy Iovine being right. Yes. Is what it is. I've cut your, I want this and you're giving me this. Yeah. But this isn't better than that. This isn't a growth from that. This is, there are other bands that do this better than what they're doing. But I think this is also, this is the type of stuff that Fred loves. Puddle of mud, Mm -hmm. cold. And I hate this stuff. I mean, so it's just, yeah, given that unfettered moment. And it's also funny that they make that big point about Wes not liking rap music. Wes didn't like rap and whatever. But then the rap is largely taken. He's Fred's just singing. So it's like the excuse doesn't even really vibe. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Wes comes back and they're just wrapping up a goddamn storm on the comeback record. Yeah, so. I never got that Wes didn't like rap music. I think I think you're just saying I think they're just saying things, saying things for the camera. I got a lot of that too. Like yeah. I felt like they were just Specifically, Fred, I think, was just sort of like, I mean, also in the, in the documentary, I'm sorry, you got to watch it if you <laughs> haven't, which you probably haven't. But there's like all of this talk about like Fred needing to write lyrics and how like it's his job to write lyrics and how he gets inspired to write them. And he basically talks about how he doesn't do any work. And then he just goes and gets drunk a bunch of places. He goes to the pool. We get a whole section of him at the pool with his assistant. I guess. Yeah. He says he hired this person to just make him laugh because they're pretty funny. Yeah. That is said in a dead monotone. We're pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah. They have him dress up as a Speedo and run around this pool. And, um, yeah, it, it, honestly, when that happened in the doc, I was like, we, uh, we got to fill this much time. We, we need all this. A lot of it felt like outtakes. We also have a sequence where he goes to New York with his parents. Yeah. His mom was kind of a delight. Uh, love his mom. She said that she's the mother of all rock stars. I have a feeling <laughs> when she told that she's like, she's like, I'm all rock stars moms, meaning she has gone places and given advice to like, I don't know, Draymond or something. Probably. (laughs) She jumps on a bed and says, I'm jumping on a New York bed. (laughs) I I love Fred's mom. Oh, and then at the end, her stepfather's like, all right, we're going to we're going to fuck now. And Fred's like, I had to get out of there. (laughs) 
I I felt like that was pretty wholesome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a moment where the stepdad was like getting horny on the main, and I was like, "That's fine, dude. You've earned it." Getting horny on the main. <laughs> I can tell you kind of hate this term. I do, but I'm gonna look out for it. Um, <laughs> this song I felt largely was just fine, but I feel like the there are only two comments on songmeanings.com. Yes, but they're each these beautiful beautifully crafted sort of like gentle disses wrapped in it's like a shit sandwich but without the bottom part of the you know what a shit shit sandwich is it's an open face shit sandwich an open face shit sandwich yeah yeah so the first comment is from commenter home dog and it says sweet i'm the first person to post something on this song well this song rocks that's all except that it's way too long boom there it is so you had the bread compliment of uh, yeah. this song rocks. That's all. The dollop of poo-poo. Except that it's way too long. Way too long. Okay, so Fred probably would have been like, Ugh. Then Opinion Head, commenter Opinion Head, comes in and says, I think this song is about the fatigue and stress about touring, fame, and stardom. Very simple song, and yet one of Durst's best. Durst is a great songman, as he nixes the vulgarity and writes what he feels. He's a jack of all trades, a master of none. <laughs> That master of none. Master of none. I don't think Fred, if we are to believe what we've heard about him being a perfectionist, everything has to be perfect. He mentions almost uh, a mil- at least a million times in the documentary, I'd say, that he's afraid to fail. He yes. doesn't want to fail. doesn't want to fail. Everyone's looking for me to fail. At one point, he, fail. he meets with Pharrell at one point, and he's like, everybody's waiting for me to fail. And Pharrell, I don't know, just... Just looks at him. Pharrell just Pharrell looks at him, and I really was just like, "Could Fred Durst get Pharrell on the phone today?" I don't think so. Probably not. Um, but it was it was very interesting to see that. Um, there was also a part early on when uh, he's talking about his label, and he's like, "I'm doing all this, and also I got my label." And then they cut to like somebody who's like, "Flip Interscope offices," and then he's like. I'm working on producing albums for other bands, Cold Puddle of Mud. I've got, and then he just starts listing things, and he's like, movies, I'm reading scripts. And then he goes, pitching ideas to major network television shows. And that, the way he said that, was some straight up Kenny Power shit. Like, that is Eastbound and Down 100%. Have you ever, you guys seen Eastbound and Down ever? Not really. If you watch Eastbound and Down after having watched this documentary, you will think that they just ripped off this documentary to make this show. It's literally the character that of Kenny Powers is really what Fred Durst is doing in real life. Like just walking around making like insane braggadocious comments. And it was, yeah, when he said that like pitching things to major networks, like, like it has this vague, it's a vague humble brag. I'm pitching to major networks. I'm not going to name any names. Yeah. So as not to be put on the spot if nothing ever happens, which nothing ever happened in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a rock and bridge near the end of this song, but it is very long. And also, we're putting a Moody Boy at track four? No. All right. All right. Up next, we've got Down Another Day. And a Moody Boy on track five. <laughs> you are right when you said to remember how Fred loves the Moody Boy Bands. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten. The days. 
I felt like I hit the posts on that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You can hear any of those bands like the Stains, Puddle of Mud, Cold. They could all do this song. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say this is Stained channeled through Puddle of Mud, which what a what a combo there. <laughs> what a combo there. Oh, uh, you, you open a can of Stained. Open a can of Stained and there's just a little grab, bit of mud. Grab that filter of mud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grab your mud filter. Grab your mud filter. Put it all together. Put it in a put it in a little cup and uh, take it on your way. Jenny, thoughts and down another day. Um, not not my favorite song uh, on this record from One Biscuit or in general, but I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. I think this album is largely fine, mm-hmm. especially compared to lots of things that we've listened to. It's not bad. It's just weird to hear Limp Biscuit doing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny, in their defense, this is an album that they had to make. You know what? You're right. <laughs> That's on me. <laughs> it's hard to find a song of substance. Uh, man. Yeah, I wrote my notes. This is a chill boy. Um, and uh, songmeanings.com had a comment that I was like, got to talk about this. It's from Casker. And uh, that comment is, I think this song is about the end of the world, parentheses, 2012, seeing as how he is talking about winter. 2012, December 21st, 1024, the beginning of the winter solstice, solstice is when the Mayans predicted the end would be. Posted that on January 23rd, 2005. Uh, and yet. Here and we yet. are. Here we are. Or are we? You know. This is true. Are we in another timeline? We might be. Might be. We might be. I'm not keeping track of the timeline. All right. Up next, we've got a track called Almost Over. Took his glasses off and the headphones. And the headphones. His face is in his hands. What is it? 
Matt. Yeah, buddy. What it look like, baby? <laughs> um, man. <sighs> so, have you heard the new Eminem? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. I don't mind it. I, I think it's actually probably one of his strongest in a long time. Uh, but then there's things that he just gets stuck on that I'm like, why are you still stuck on this? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's other things that are just awful. And there is one song called Stepdad that begins with the words, this is a song about my stepdad. And it's like, next track. I hit off. It's <laughs> I am, I'm feeling so good about not taking time for this album. I saw when it got surprise released. Eminem, Eminem has to surprise release him now because if you give the, if he gives you any warning, then everyone's like, oh, well, you know, we'll just move. You know, we'll just go somewhere where there's, they can't reach us. But if he drops it on, you're like, crap, he surprised us again. Well, he there's one song uh, that he does with Juice World on there, uh, Rest in Peace, and uh, Pointed to Heaven. And it literally made me laugh because he starts rapping that fast rap, and then he goes faster, and I'm like, he's really good at that. He's really one of the best ever at that thing. Um, but anyway... I make that point about stepdad because it it hits me like I think that style of as a little boy like using the same words is um I think that's called litur- liturgical okay think um that's what it's called it isn't my favorite thing in the world no as a little boy is a tough one to hear over and over again um you know, like, just, I don't know, man. I hear it, and I'm just like, this is what this is what we're doing? Putting this out there? That's what they're doing. Yeah. That's what they're doing. You guys think that uh, Eminem looks like Tom Green now? He does now. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, his bum is on our <laughs> lips. I, I did see a bit of the music video that he put out, and... He's walking around with the black beard and the black hair, and I'm just like, <laughs> "This looks wrong. This this doesn't seem right." Um, but no, I mean, listen to that. Absolutely not. No, yeah. I, I do a new metal co- podcast. I put myself through enough. I'm not, I don't have to willfully listen to an Eminem album. Uh, this song tortured me a little bit because I call my puppy "little boy," and so hearing him say "little boy, little boy," I was like, "Stop!" Locked in a cage is a little boy. Sometimes feeding his rage is a little boy. He doesn't have. Rage. Got good grades as a little boy. Um, How's he, he got doing? a decent puppy report card this there week. There you go. Well, see how he's doing as an older man. He put together a crew. He's gonna uh, get a crew of dogs. He had three dogs listed that he's friends with. One mm. of whom was named Coors. Mm. Mm. So okay. Uh, I have to say the thing with this song is that when we get to the drop, it's feels underwritten. Maybe uh, maybe give that one another go. Who it is, what it say, what it look like, what it look like. Sure, I guess. I don't know. So this one, uh, I mean, at least it gets a little rocking. But um, I wrote, not a strong chorus. Now, uh, songmeanings.com has one comment I'd like to bring attention to. It's yeah. another soft disc from <laughs> No Code 79. It says, I'll give them one thing. They wrote a decent song here. If it wasn't written by Limp Biscuit, then it would be a good song. But being from one biscuit makes it decent. 
there's just like it's not even that mean it's just like because it's you i don't like it if anybody else wrote this song it'd be great absolutely uh, i want to mention this comment from the dark lord master um who i'm just going to put it out there and just see how you guys feel about it I love this song. It means so much to me. It's my life in a song. People hated me as a kid, and now I skate pro. They all want to know me. Like the guy says, it's time to blow their minds now, baby. Oh, and believe me, I have done. Okay. So he's definitely a skate pro. Yeah. Everybody wants a piece of his shit. Big time. Big time. Big time. Jenny, you're the skateboarder of the bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, only at my grandma's, but yeah. 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 So when you hear that, what do you think? He's clearly a pro. I can tell a pro just by the way they type a comment. That's how good I am at skateboarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that all checks out. Uh, all right. All right. Up next, something I could totally ollie over. <laughs> Build a bridge. Another slow... Featuring Brian Hedwalch. Yeah, Matt. Think about it. Let's just stack these slow boys one after another. As a little boy. I wrote in my notes four mid-tempo songs in a row. It's time to mow, blow their not, minds now, indeed. Some people want to build a bridge. Not far off. That's straight from the stained playbook. Where them lighters at? This is the real motherfucking deal, y'all. Take this song, keep it exactly the same, give it to somebody like fucking, I don't know who the Aaron young, Lewis. No, not even Aaron Lewis. I'm thinking somebody, give it to like Sean Mendes or somebody new and young and hot. This is a number one song. Don't even change the lyrics. Are they horny on the main? Sean <laughs> Mendes is actually, <laughs> this is a Zodiac. Are you horny on the main? <laughs> <laughs> I'm decoding. What did he say? He I says would he's have horny to decode. If man. I got that message, I'd be like, ah, what does he mean? <laughs> this is the Zodiac. The time is now. Are you horny on the main? <laughs> um, yeah, this thing, I think any, but this is definitely anybody else does this besides Limp Biscuit. This is a hit. Anybody, here's the thing. I, if, if you get a better singer, because I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a Fred apologist, no surprise there. But even for me, I was like, I, I prefer the Fred rapping over the Fred singing. And yeah, if this was just yeah a better singer, this could be yeah this this would be I could see people getting excited about. I mean, some of these lyrics, 
Make my tears be your bath. Somebody, I could see somebody getting real mm. deep. You have to that. cry a lot. That's a shit That's ton. A lot of Unless tears. Unless this is from the perspective of a bug. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is this a bug's life Wait a song minute. that got rejected? When did ants come out? Oh, man. <laughs> Build a bridge. Underneath that bridge, bugs taking tear baths. Bug bath. Oh, this is about an adult person. An adu- not an adult. A person who befriends... A bug. A bug. And his tears Tears are are the bug's bug's bath. bath. The bug's like, I'm dirty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, little buddy. Also, this is the Zodiac. (laughs) It's the Zodiac has a bug friend? You are my bug friend. I don't have any other bug friends because I was horny on the moon. You got a friend in me. You got a friend. I mean, mean, here's the thing. A bug that gets ostracized. Listen, I am trying to write this check to you guys to make this movie very quickly. Who am I making it out to? Just let us (laughs) (laughs) All right. The Zodiac Killer. $5 million. Away you go. It's a, you'll see. It'll come together. Wait a second. This summer, coming to a theater near you, he's a Zodiac killer who just can't stop leaving cryptic messages. I'm the Zodiac. She's a bug. That's a bug. I'm a bug. Together, they take tear baths. This is a $100 million easy opening weekend. This This is... is this might have been one of the, the shows or movies that Fred was shopping around. Oh! <laughs> we cracked it wide open. <laughs> we sure did. We cracked it wide open. Um, songmeanings.com. Uh, did you have any favorite comments, Jenny? I just want to read the first line of one of them uh, that continues this complete disregard of Fred and Limp Bizkit. The first line of this is, I don't care what Fred Durst says, in my opinion. <laughs> this is the song that he wrote. <laughs> Dude cannot catch a break. He uh, really can't. Um, there is a, a long conversation with someone named DiGiorno uh, in the comments. And uh, Chihiro, or Chai Hero, says, Wow, no one's commented on this one yet. This song has quite a bit of meaning for me. Not so much the lyrics, but more the fact that it played over and over and over again when I was on holiday in Cape Town, my home. When I was free from my family and could do what I want. And of course... A guy I met, dot, 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 reminds me of all that, dot, dot, dot. While I'm at it, I must say the drumming is absolutely brilliant in certain parts. The best part is three minutes and 22 seconds into this song. Smiley emoji. What happened to this guy that she met? I don't know. I bet you they took some some tear baths together, maybe. Probably. Probably. Under a bridge in Cape Town. You never know. You never know. Never do. All right. There's only 17 more songs to go. Okay. So. Very good. Um, up next, I'm really looking forward to just listening to this one. This is a song called Red Light, Green Light. It's featuring someone in. You'll know. and Snoop Dogg. Freak baby. Freak, freak baby. Freak baby. Freak, freak baby. Red light, green light. Red light, green light. Red light, green light. You ready to roll? Tell me when you're ready to go. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> Ask us anything. Anything you want to know. Snoop Dogg. Yes. Yeah. In the studio. In the studio. In the studio with Fred. Yep. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think they're drinking? Cavassier? No. What are they drinking? Mimosas. <laughs> they call. They say, we can get Snoop Dogg. And let's point this out. As much as Fred, this is a business arrangement. Yes. 100%. Snoop has been known to do any guest vocal for the right price. So they don't, I don't think they mention what they pay him. But there is a lot of Because he did the Corey uh, Feldman guest. Well, there you go. Well, Fred's also on the Corey Feldman album there. So maybe that's the connection. I don't know. They basically, you see um, Fred's manager, often seen in the documentary that we don't have talked about too much, Peter. Peter, we were saying, Peter, Peter's doing the dirty work. Peter's, Peter's got some dirt under his fingernails, absolutely. And he's setting it up to get... Um, uh, to get Snoop in the studio. But they're arranging it that it's going to take place after Fred co-hosts an episode of the Jimmy Kimmel show. Mm-hmm. So Fred is like co-hosting that and then immediately going to the studio to meet up with Snoop. So Peter's on the phone and he's like, all right, yep, Fred's going to come. He's going to go straight to the studio meet you guys. What do you need? Do you need anything? And they're like, mimosas. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right, we'll get a few bottles of champagne and, and we'll meet him there. They go in, they chop it up, they play the beat for him, which is a DJ Lethal original. Snoop's like, I love it. It's great. Let's go. And I think he just freestyles his entire verse. Yep. Let's find out. Light, green light. Red light, green light. Red light, green light. You ready to go? Tell me when you're ready to go. Tell me when you I got the keys, baby. Put your mind at ease, baby. Go player, lay in the cheese, baby. I know you're biting, biting my steez, baby. But I came. Can you say biting my steez? Yes. Don't flake, flake, shake the knees, baby. Your fellas mad at me, baby. Oh, well, enemies, baby. Who's bragging? They ragging on me, baby. Whose breath is dragging on me, baby. Whose steps through all agony, baby. Whose checks are bigger than me, baby. All right, Matt, if you want to go to 123, that's when Snoop's verse happens. I do more than anything in the world. Here we go. Slide to the rhythm up. Snoop Deagle, double G, a nigga from the dub. I represent it to the fullest everywhere I go. Guaranteed to bust a hole. Yeah, I'm so Mimoso. I don't have to. I told you from the get go. I like to lay low with my niggas blowing endo. We like to drink it and talk shit and spit it, bitches. And that's the way we do it. Sometimes we're hitting switches. In the low rider, sliding to the hood and back. It's Snoop Dogg in the motherfucking Cadillac. They call it Snoop the Bill for real. I get the money and I never ever pop no pills. I used to pop them lying to these motherfuckers now. I used to do all kind of shit when I was wild. They used to call me Lil Bow Wow. Now I'm Big Bow Wow when this motherfucker busting a freestyle. Snoop Dogg is in the place to see. Do it with my nephew Freddie D. Ooh, we in the place to see. Snoop D go double G from the DPGC. Red light, green light. There is a moment in the documentary where you see true unadulterated joy come from Fred Durst. And that is when Snoop Dogg is rapping this and he refers to saying that he is rapping with my nephew Freddie D. He is like like nephew's pretty big peak life moment. Like he's like they're never going to take this away from me. I got this here. No matter what the fuck happens. And even though it is a business arrangement and cameras there whatever, it seems like a very nice time in the studio with Snoop. Would you agree, Jenny? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, oh. please. Oh, please. No, 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 please, no, please, no, please. no. I don't know. No, keep going. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. I don't understand anything about this song. Like oh. Where it got played. It's like, <laughs> oh, they oh, just oh, oh, oh. Jenny, I don't think we disagree with you on that. I mean, it, it, we, we just came off of <laughs> four moody boys build a bridge taking Dude. baths and tears Dude, and now just a straight ahead hip-hop track yeah i don't i just my sigh my my exasperation was not at what you two were saying but more at just trying to like think about how to even address this song it's just we get a scene in the dock where they're trying to pick a single but i really wish we'd had a scene in the dock where they did the sequencing <laughs> Yeah, I do too. I'm pretty sure it's just a shoebox, <laughs> and they just shake it up with Whoop. all the songs. Okay, yeah. Uh, songmeanings.com again. I really hope Fred didn't read these. Me too. Uh, Silver Saint says, "Ha! Unfortunately, I like this song, <laughs> 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 so that's perfect." Um. um. There's one that I'd like to go back to when we get to the secret track. Oh, sure. That makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah. 21666. That was the other one I liked. Oh, yeah. please go oh, ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, they said, sweet. I'm the first to make a comment here, though that doesn't really surprise me as this song truly sucks ass. <laughs> Someone sent me this shit and it just made me laugh. Anybody who likes this song clearly needs their head examined. What the fuck does it mean anyway? Yeah, baby. Red light, green light or whatever. So it's about a chick driving a car, perhaps? Shit. I don't know why I'm getting so pissed with this. It ain't worth it. I'll just add this comment anyway. Just no respect. Just just like, that's like a drive-by. Like, you, I mean, I don't even need to do this. You, but Fred Durst and Limp Bizkit get everybody's brain dumps. Like, I don't know. I was listening to this and I have to... I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, this sucks. See ya. Yeah, fuck them. Who cares? <laughs> so if you're, so if you're, uh, this, uh, if you're listening to this on streaming, um, this song, you're at the halfway point. <laughs> you're about the halfway point. That is actually true. Um, this, the next song is called "Take It Home," uh, but this is considered a hidden track on the tail end of "Red Light, Green Light." But let's listen to that for a second. seems like it's going to do this. Jenny, your thoughts on Take It Home? Um, I don't understand why it's there. I think this is another situation of this is something that DJ Lethal does. He makes these little interludes. And everyone's like enjoying them in, in the groove in the studio. And so they said, we'll, we'll pop them in here every now and again. I think 
I don't know if there is any sort of sort of outro and build a bridge that could maybe make the transition into red light, green light less abrupt. I don't know if that's possible. No. Um, but it seems like that is in place to segue us out of the red light, green light and back into the rest of the album, which has no more songs like red light, green light, just by the <laughs> way. So, yeah, it felt like they finally got snooping for a track. They'd probably been, it seemed like they'd been trying just the, the absolute urgency with which Peter's yeah. like, well, what, what does he want? What would he like to have in, what would he like to have in the studio? Um, it sounds like there was no way they were going to cut that one. No, absolutely. they probably spent a lot of money on it too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's, it's been licensed. I've heard it in a commercial once and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was hearing it outside of like my own private listening. It was like, was isn't like, it like a Nike commercial or something? I saw it in an ad for something that seemed very left field like a like a might have been nike but i mean i remember it being in like like an ad maybe on like the internet like it was played before like some like youtube video or something but it was not of like yeah money's money i don't know if you guys ever heard that term before but (laughs) if it's green (laughs) it's put put it over that's true um all right so this is track uh 500 of this album (laughs) yes uh I don't know. We're lost. We're lost in a tunnel. There's no light. It's uh, track 10. Yeah. This of is, 18. Yes. This is called The Only One. Who did the mix on this? You're going to be surprised. It's a no-go. First night, absolutely not. You gotta get that vibe right. We're done. Listen, Jesus. listen, you're Fred Durst. And there is nothing you all you're trying to keep it together, but all these ladies they're definitely horny on the main. And he's like, "Take a minute, take a breath." I'm the only one you know that can put you on cruise control. The only one. I have sincere. He later says that Britney Spears made him give it up on the first night. Isn't that correct? Uh, I don't remember. That I may part. I may have dug a little too deep into this. <laughs> you may have. I mean. <sighs> If I'm going to be honest, I mean, if I went on a date with Britney Spears in 2003 (laughs) and she was like, you want to do it on the first night? You just met you. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I I would do that. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Let's see. Let's let's find out how this goes. Yeah. Well, Um, I don't think that many people had that problem. Um, But uh, this song just really made me laugh because it's like, look. And even <laughs> in the attempt at the sentiment of like, let's take our time. I ain't looking to screw till the vibes. Right. <laughs> what lady doesn't love to hear it? <laughs> Munch and Chi Chi. <laughs> Here's the crazy part. And I, I'm going to keep coming back to something that you said earlier, Lauren. Mm-hmm. If these aren't Limp Biscuit songs and they're with a different front man and the lyrics maybe just a couple dashes one way or the other it's a hit 
This song is a modern rock radio hit with somebody who can pull it off. But this isn't his wheelhouse, and he wants it to be. Well, the funny thing is that this does fit with a Fred motif that has been running through these. Nookie, no sex, the one. Like that that search for a Miss lady, Wright. The, for the search for Miss Wright, the search, the, the, the finding that having sex, this, just putting sex as the goal ahead of everything else only leads to heartbreak and sadness. You know, I get the message, but perhaps the delivery is bad I'm, but it, it, but it, this song Lauren's is looking hysterical. at me like i'm going to reach across the table and i am punch so him in afraid jenny is going to just de- yeah just decapitate me. i'm not going yeah. to okay thank you i no i mean uh <laughs> i just it, this song just made me laugh i was like okay i just can't take fred seriously in this i understand that he's a human being and that he as, has the full range of emotions as everyone sure, does. Yeah. I get it, but I just was like, this almost. I when I heard this, I went audibly, yeah, right. <laughs> well, there is there. Yeah, it's a play your part type shit. Like, this is not anything that you've said. This this is not who you have presented yourself to be, even though it might be who you are. There's like, how is this? A, is this a situation of do as I say, not as I do? It's a situation of which the how do I say this? What you had, the person you had on the first three records, presented themselves as a cavalier, don't give a fuck type, and here we have the same. Cavalier, don't give a fuck type being like, but I'm looking like it's there's no it's incongruous. Also, I think that the music behind him isn't as strong so that when these type of messages showed up on the other songs in the previous albums, the music would carry it in a way that the music can't on this one. Right. I would agree with that completely. Why I say this is a hit is just it's just a pop song. With a different vocalist and a different rapping on it, it works in the same way that Arms Wide Open works. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's nothing about this song musically that's offensive, you know. But yeah. it, but when you put Fred on it with what he's saying, there's a level of cringe that it has because it doesn't feel like this band that I've known and the the band that this is, even though. People can grow and time can go on. I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, dude. I don't think I well, think that's what you were saying, Jenny. He, like, he makes he makes a strong point in the later part of the song where he says, I'm holding out, I'm gonna wait, wanna make it past the first date, a little time, then we can do all the nasty little things you want to do. Maybe Fred's a vanilla guy. Maybe. But then he says, I'd hate to get you in bed find out you're empty instead which i'm like that's when you find that out i think what he's saying there is that he'd like 
Oh, is that he has sex with you and then they go on a second date and she's like dumb. Dumb. And he'd hate that. He it's would, hard to find a woman with uh, substance. Of, what is that substance? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Jenny, when you're out and about and you run into other women, are you always like, why doesn't this woman have any substance? I'm the I'm not like other girls. Oh, oh, oh first oh, and foremost, oh. we gotta say that. We Men gotta have mention been this. telling me that my whole life. Yeah? <laughs> not yeah. a joke. No. <laughs> You're not like other girls. I'm like, yes, I fucking am. <laughs> yes, I am. I just like more of the same things that you do than many other women. But I'm just like other girls. <laughs> They've got substance, baby. Just as many dumbass dudes out there as there are dumbass women. Um, but I'll tell you what, in yeah. a in the complete theme and tradition of Stuff almost getting there, uh-huh. being like so close. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a comment on songmeanings.com oh, okay. from the stuff that says, I can't tell if they're being sarcastic and speaking like a woman or not with this song. <laughs> I'd like to think it's a common sense way to approach an adult relationship today. Get with some chick, get to know her, have a good time, continue being yourself. And if it seems like a good thing, then do your thing. Otherwise, kick her to the curb and don't compromise who you are in the process. A little self-respect. No big deal either way. (laughs) It's like so close. (laughs) It starts off like, whoa. And then it's like, All I'm saying is that men and women are different and they could use a little bit of time to get to know each other to see if they're an actual fit before they go physically. There's nothing wrong with being physical with somebody, but if you want pump and dump, cool, high five, go. (laughs) It was all over the place. The same way I felt with this, the same way I felt with this like record. Because there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, all right, yeah, like for sure, Fred Durst has feelings and he wants to express them, and he is like trying to do more of the stuff that he's into. I think when they say like with Wes gone, they can go in different directions. It is in the direction of the stuff that Fred just loves. Yeah, more of like the sad, moody boy type stuff. Um, but then there's just like. All the other things that it's like, what? wait, wait, what? I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> no. I mean, it is it is nice to know, though, that I mean, I don't know, nice to know, but I mean, ethereal voice. I mean, he nobody came in and said, maybe don't do this. Maybe go back. Like, literally, he went in and they were like, yep, that's the take. That's the one. That, that, that's the lyric. Sounds good. Perfect. Put it in, put it in the liner notes. One take Durst. <laughs> one take <laughs> I don't know how you're doing it, but these are all one takers, baby. <laughs> Anytime I'm doing something and someone's like, all right, that's one take. Let's do it. I was like, hey, Wait isn't that bad? <laughs> there should be at least two. A safety take. Like, no, that was perfect. Like, oh, God, <laughs> I fucked that up. Uh, who mixed this? Uh, mixer on this record. You tell me Andy Wallace. is I'm- not Andy Wallace. It is Brendan O'Brien. Brendan O'Brien of Brendan, Pearl Jam fame? Brendan O'Brien of Pearl Jam fame, Stone Temple Pilots, Wallflowers, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen, ACDC, Aerosmith, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden. This band sounds quiet in this mix. They sound like they're yards away from the speakers. Do you think maybe Brendan was in there doing his mixing? And maybe. Just, just maybe, maybe. The door to the mixing room was open and someone walked in. And said, hey. Hi. Maybe they were wearing a backwards New York. Maybe Yankee they hat had a backwards red cap on. With an embroidered Durst. Durst, maybe. And maybe. they said, What's this button do? 
And he says, well, that, that turns down the music. And what's this button do? So it turns up the vocals. And then he just tap, tap, tap one. And he tap, tap, tap the other. And then he said, shh. <laughs> 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 uh, there's only 17 more songs to go. It's good. It's All good. right. It's good. <laughs> up All next, right. we've got Let Me Down. God. Yeah! <laughs> Heartbreak is a headache Like a toothache or an earthquake Spontaneous combustion Leaves a taste so disgusting And it don't go away too fast I'm a window made of broken glass I've never needed anything Anything but you And that's what's wrong Expecting take the Steve, money in the yeah, <laughs> Steve Miller. <laughs> All right, an interpolation. Listen, DJ Lethal's got these samples, and he's just gonna keep pitch every day. I think it's just Fred's got like a half hour just blocked out in his calendar. Or DJ Lethal's like, I got a new bunch of samples, and he's like, Let me hear them. And he just plays them for me. He goes, Can we put that one in a song? He's like, Nah, how about this one? Nah, and then he played him that, and he was like, Sure. Won't really work, but we're gonna put it in because I like you. You know, I'm noticing something. Oh, what's oh, that? <laughs> what? What? When you have a lot of mid-tempo boys, uh huh. You know what you don't get? What riffs? It's true. There is, uh, there is a scarcity of riffs. Yeah, I think that is on the songs that they chose because Mike has riffs. Yeah, those snot records had riffs. I don't think Mike was on. Was Mike on? Was on, was Mike in snot? And on snot, uh, I, I just said know. snot too many times. Um, I yeah, when Mike rolls in in the dock, um, he just starts playing stuff, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, love these riffs." And part of me was like, "Did was there any thought in anybody's head where they're like, wish this guy'd been here five months ago?'" <laughs> <laughs> like well they straight up said that they called him back after a year yeah so like was that was that hubris was that standards was that waiting for wes? waiting for wes i don't know i think something that we didn't see in the doc that must have happened was somebody was like you need to get a fucking guitar player. Like, yeah. Because if, if I remember correct, either from the Dean Del Rey video uh, or interview or the Toomey interview with them, 
where he says where Wes said during this time period when he, he had enough cachet to take a solo project and have Jimmy Iovine listen to it and basically shoot it down. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think that was the Dean interview. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's during this time period, our conspiracy theory of, and it's not much of one because we're kind of basing it off of what they actually said in the, yeah. in the post is he gets turned down by Iovine and then, hey, we got money over here to come back to Biscuit. Yeah. They still don't have a guitar player. A lot of moody boys could use a riff or five. Yeah. Or eight. And they're thinking, we're, we're going to get Wes back. He knows the band. It's just, we had a breakup, but... Breakups to makeups. That's what they always say, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that did eventually happen. It did. It's and it true. happened a year later, which is even more crazy. In 2004, it comes back to the band. Right. And they... <laughs> Just then they fucking chuck Mike to the side. Yeah. So Mike Smith was a touring guitarist. Oh, okay. With Smith. All right. All right. Um, and yeah, that was the other weird thing when you read about when Wes came back. It was very soon after this record came out, and they were just like, "Olympus gets a family, and we know what to do as like a family." So you know, we asked Mike to leave. <laughs> it was just like, ugh. Uh, I. Is there a Mike interview? Have we ever looked for a Mike interview? Well, here's the problem. Try Googling Mike Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he was made to be like, well, when we're done with you, you're gone. Back into the ether, you go. Um, but what the thing is when they go, when Wes comes back, they make the unquestionable part, truth part one, and there is a documentary that, will apparently never see the light of day that Dean Del Rey was making of the making of that album. And um, John wasn't there because he was dealing with substance abuse issues. So they had somebody else and, you know, they're working with Ross again. They're trying to just completely change their sound up and, and it's even more volatile. And then they basically broke up for real after that. And Wes has even said, he's like, we shouldn't have been like the, I shouldn't have come back, but the band was not even in a state. And it wasn't until they reconvened in 09 that it actually cohered again into a legit thing. So, yeah. Real quick, I mean, where's the new. I thought we'd get some other taste at this point of this new Limp Biscuit album. They teased that song. I mean, if this record is any indication, buckle the fuck up. (laughs) True. True. Or be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gold Cobra which we will eventually get to on the show, is fucking legit. So, because Wes is back on that. So, let's do it. Um, yeah, what's next? All right. Up next, we've got... Oh, what do we have? Lonely World? Lonely World. Oh, I I wonder if this is like a slow or mid-tempo boy that's a little moody. Let's find out. <laughs> Matt, don't throw away your noodle napkin. I thought that was more of a Georgia O'Keefe. Well, I, I say he's noodling on it. Oh, noodling and doodling. Lonely. The world is lonely. Matt, not far off. you are not far off.
Back in the days where the magic exists Never be the same as it was Cause the way it was Just another day in the maze of a myth Had a lot of fun living life on the run Never had a chance to pause To get a better glance Everything was free and everything was fast Never even thought it wouldn't last When you got the mind of a man in the middle Life is just a big fat riddle So figure it out Always thinking that you know Every little thing there is to know But you don't really know it's like love, some people get it For some it's just a glove that just never fit it For me it's just a pain in the ass But I'm addicted to the taste of hoping it could last Another day, another night inside a lonely world Another game, another fight inside a lonely world Another one, Matt, I know you don't like this song, but you kind of like this song Cut the previous six songs Leave red light, green light. This is your moody boy. That's it. This is the one. This is the Limp Biscuit moody boy. That's the one I want. Cool rap versus solid, smooth vocal chorus. I'm good with it. The chorus is in the pocket. That is what I want. It's got a little bounce to it. Also, notice that guitar. That's that's basically West guitar. They, yeah. they they figured out sparse this. yeah little but but yeah. like little intricate yeah, yeah um we didn't even get to my favorite lyric in the second verse Jenny I'm sure you know it uh, I remember high school man I hated high school it was like a prison with bullies always putting me down just a little skater boy they could pick on I learned to forgive them now I got the balls they can lick on boom boom got him got him Fred yeah you got him is that a got him yeah that's a got <laughs> that's a got him also, i mean high school like prison mm. ring ring hello <laughs> good choice of words i don't know jenny when you were in high school think I'm, about it you, you couldn't you, leave all day if you right, had to go had to the bathroom stabbed several times you had to ask for a pass to go to the bathroom yeah you had to eat lunch off a in a room in a room <laughs> With other people that also couldn't leave? Yeah. And what would happen? All of you in a cage together? I guess so. Responding to tones coming from an unknown source telling you to move from one room to another? This is the Zodiac. (laughs) High school's a prison. (laughs) I'm just saying, Jenny. Realize. Realize where you were. You got um, Stockholm Syndrome I for high school. <laughs> oh, I wish I could go back. <laughs> now that I've learned about horny on the main, I'd be sure to succeed in popularity. <laughs> that was my problem. That was horny on the main, and I didn't even realize. Hey, hey, I really like that Jenny chick, but I mean, like... She's too horny on the main, she, she, yeah, bro. Yeah. yeah. In high school, when I was in high school, the main was, like, writing notes <laughs> to each other. Yeah, you just needed to be more... Every note, the D- every note I wrote just said, please, please, <laughs> please, please, please touch me. I went in high school when I was a toddler. Oh, no. You were, oh, you, you were a little bug voice? I was a little bug, yeah. <laughs> no one even knew I was there. <laughs> when they saw me, they tried to squish me. Oh, no, squishy. No. But I got a 32 on my ACT, so I got into a good college. <laughs> Away. Away. I went to Bug College. Be you? Be you. Got a little <laughs> tiny degree. Be proud of yourself, both of you. Yep. <laughs> now I'm a civil engineer making sure the bridges are safe. <laughs> 
the witches under which I get quiet on. <laughs> In my personal <laughs> bath. Um, I have a not quick, doing it right. Um, <laughs> I have a quick note uh, that on page two of songmeanings.com, there is a bit of a war uh, between commenters. Um, my note to myself is I need to start from comment from Dave. Uh, Dave says, Limp Bizkit sucks. So then everyone gets real mad at Dave. Chamzord says, wow, Dave, your comment was so meaningful. It's almost as if it speaks to me directly. I don't think he was being serious. I don't I think, think so either. pretty mad. And everyone else is getting really mad. Like, why does Dave comment on the lyrics just to say they suck? Okay, then. And then people are just like, hey, go and fuck yourself, Dave. Then come back and kiss L-I-M-P Biscuit's ass. If you don't like the song, then keep your bullshit comments with yourself and post it on your mama's diary notebook. Then she will love that asshole. Wow. That's so then Dave the went, snuck into his mother's room, <laughs> and uh, wrote Limp Biscuit sucks in her diary. She was pissed. She was really mad. She did not love that asshole. Yeah. All right. Up next, we've got a song called Phenomenon. Are you ready? Ooh, come on! Time flies, huh? Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, right. Once again, back it's the incredible subliminal, the incredible D. Once down in the dirt, and I ain't even gotta shave when I'm going to work. Uh, I looks like I'm drinking the night. Tomorrow I'll be sipping on some pity life. Come on. Oh man, we gotta get to this chorus, buddy. Oh, somebody's horny on the main. What track number is this? Uh, this would be track number um, 13. 13! Why is this track 13? I'm not kidding when I said you. this whole thing needs... I know that we're going to get there with Canon Talk, but I can't help ourselves. We've been talking over two hours about this record. Only? <laughs> Jesus Christ. This needs to be cut down to 12 songs, maybe 10. 10 is probably right. And this needs to be way up top. Way up top. Well, we don't get our way. <laughs> I mean, truly, this, the, the, the shoebox uh, theory of sequencing definitely stands up when you run into this song at track 
12 or whatever. It's nuts. What's the shoebox theory of? What we were saying earlier that we were just picking them out of a shoebox. Oh, okay. <laughs> the shoebox theory. It's, it's not too deep. <laughs> <laughs> the famous shoebox theory. Oh, Johnny Carson, you're here. <laughs> yes, everybody. Uh, <laughs> wild, uh, wild way to pick an album. Wild way to do it. There's only a couple ways. You either get in a room together or you get the old shoebox out. <laughs> Size 13's over here myself, but, uh, you know, a little more room in there for more ideas. Jenny, thoughts on Phenomenon? At least it was fun. <laughs> like, I don't, have, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but at least it was fun. It's a mid-tier Limp Biscuit song. It's fun. Yeah, I'm into it. I wish it was sooner in the, uh, in the track listing. Um, on this documentary, the ba-bounce, ba-bounce, gonna move, move, move part was helped put together by one spliff star. From Flipnode. Flipnode's the greatest. Right? Flipnode? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. He showed up. He's very excited to help out. But I mean, yeah, he basically was just like, this is what you should say. And Fred's like, oh, okay, I did it. And he's like, great. Happy to help. And you you know what? Fred's goatee through half of the documentary looked like the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> it did. <symbol>. It <laughs> I was did. like, why does it look like that? Yes. Yeah. Also, it really did hit me. Near the end, he gets on his jet and he's wearing the bucket hat. And it really did hit me how his devotion to those hats really created a thing that literally, like, Fred Durst is going to die one day, and still there will be people who've never heard a single Limp Bizkit song who will be like, that guy looks pretty Durst over there in that hat. You know what I mean? Like, he really cemented the look. He committed to it. He committed to it for such a long period of time that it became... Every, like anyone wearing a bucket hat like that immediately now looks like Fred Durst because Fred Durst did it for so long. He never changed. It's not like, you know, Rihanna does an album. She's got red hair and doing a whole different thing. But it's like Fred Durst was like backwards baseball cap, white tee, or like for years. Mm-hmm. What like what's the first album? Ninety seven. Yeah. Okay, ninety seven to two thousand three, and he doesn't switch up the look. That's gonna cement it in the I- iconography. Anyway, just an observation I had. You're right. Uh, all right. We got a few more songs left here. Unless anybody else has anything to say. No, nope. I'm ready. All right. Up next, we've got Creamer. Radio is dead.
There's a course eventually, but we've been talking about these for a while. It's a smooth course. Um, Jenny, your thoughts on Creamer? Radio is dead. Didn't need it. He does talk about honeys in the back seat. Uh, rubbing on his friends. He brings up Zoolander, mm-hmm. brings up Kurt Cobain. There's yeah. a whole scene in the dock where he goes to a bench outside of Kurt Cobain's house and writes a long, a lot longer than I expected to watch <laughs> him write on the bench. Well, uh, I thought yeah. he just write like, thanks, Kurt. And it's like, thanks, Kurt, for the inspiration, LMAO. Well, okay, see you later, <laughs> friend. It's just all along the bench. What was also wild about that was that for most of the documentary, you you don't get a shots of like who's around Fred too much. It's really just like Fred and like you know that there's like a camera crew and whatever, but you're not really like thinking about it. But when they go to Kirk Cobain's house, there are these shots briefly of like a lineup of like SUVs that he's in one of them, but you realize that he's traveling in like a f- like a caravan of like multiple SUVs and that when he's sitting on the bench by himself, he's not there with like any friends. It's just the crew. So literally it's him being like, well, now I'm just going to sit here for a minute. You guys could just film me. And I'm just imagining somebody, cause I've been, have, have you ever been to Kirk Cobain's house? No. Okay. So I've driven by it when I was in Seattle and it's literally in just a residential neighborhood. It's not like a museum or anything. There actually isn't really anywhere to park on the street. It's set up, so they were parked illegally, not to put anybody on blast. And uh, But, like, literally, it would be a commotion. Like, it would have been just, like, a bunch of cameras, like, on this lawn on, like, somebody's street. It'd be, like, you driving down your street, and, like, Fred Durst is, like, sitting on a bench in, like, your neighbor's lawn surrounded by, like, 12 cameras. And And you're, like, what is going on? What is happening here? Fred Durst is writing a two-long note (laughs) on this bench. Well, you know know what it might have been? You know when you're in high school let's go back to high school for some people a prison for other people the greatest time of their lives yeah and <laughs> why don't you open hands and point at jenny the best time of my life best time oh. of Jenny's as i always say the best time of my life oh if i could go back just not be horny on the main just don't be horny. i would be so much less horny on the main and uh but you know somebody's like hey would you sign my yearbook for me and they're like okay give it to me. I'm going to work on it in my next class and I'll give it back to you because they've got to like, they don't want you start writing in it. If you just go in with your pen, you're just like, yeah, you're super cool. And, uh, but you don't want to scribble it out. That looks bad. So then you just keep going. And then like, after you look what you wrote, you're like, what did I say? I should have just said, yeah, you're cool. Keep have in touch. Have a great summer. Have a great summer. But people get like caught up and then you just see them sort of like try to write themselves out of a hole. I'm wondering if that's what happened. He was like, ah, uh, Kurt, I miss you so much. I do miss you so much. I mean, you're an inspiration. You're, uh, oh, oh, I'm on the next line of the bench. Oh, uh, no. Your music really <laughs> uh, changed me. Yeah. Nivrana. Uh, have you heard of them? Nivrana, they cover you. They're bringing it. Uh, bringing the 90s back. Back to your today. Your style was great. Uh, can, can we get another bench? I've run our bench. Yeah. He did have really neat handwriting. <laughs> he did. Fred Durst has surprisingly all right handwriting. Well, he was a tattoo artist. I But Fieldy is famous. He said he was not a good tattoo artist. I can't. I bet he wasn't very good. <laughs> also, I mean, I've seen tattoos where I'm like, sure. Okay. <laughs> not Fred's, just in general. You know. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, you get the tattoo you can afford, right? Isn't that how it works? I don't know. Okay. 
I had a roommate who said, don't skimp on two things, toilet paper and tattoos. Can't say. Can't say she was wrong. Oh, man, let me tell you. Yeah. All right. We've got a few songs left and a hidden track, so let's keep going. Uh, Up next, we got Head for the Barricade. Chorus, my man. Do we? We gotta get to it. Sorry, we do. Well, my adrenaline kicks. I gotta fight, fight. It's too late. You already been in. Damn. Stick up, stick up, stick up, pop, pop, stick up, stick up, stick up. Matt, I think Limp Bizkit's grounded. Yeah. <laughs> Matt just threw his pen. <laughs> Matt, I think you crosses arms. I think you need to head for the barricade, my friend. I believe, Matt, I just want to, before we hear what you think, I want to tell you that in the um, documentary, (laughs) they refer to this song as a revolution. Sam Rivers says, Sam Rivers really wanted this to be the first single. And it should be noted that no one agrees with him. Mm -hmm. And he does refer to it as, if kids hear this, as you said, they will think it is a revolution. I don't know if that's true. I mean, when I think of, I mean, the most famous revolution, um, Project Revolution, the Olympic tour, uh, the Olympic Park tour, the second most popular revolution, of course, the American Revolution. Depending on where you live. Depending on where you live. Um, yeah, um, you know, this is a song I remember at the time thinking was pretty cool, but like coming back for these listens, it it needed to rock more, and it doesn't get there until the very end when they get to that I ain't playing around part and they're just sort of like really leaning into the riff. But it's a little too stutter stop at the top and I want it. At this point, I've been so ripper starved that I'm just like, give me just a little bit more. And uh, yeah, so what did you think? Well, I, I, I think when you have this on in the background, like and you're just going about your day, this does seem like a ripper. Uh-huh. And a lot of these songs seem less bad than... Um, when we've been listening to them now. <laughs> there is a bit of new metal biology that I'd like to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Some of the lyrics in oh. here. There's <laughs> a chamber wait. deep inside the <laughs> yes. brain that's covered with chains. So don't be shaking them loose. And if you do, I'd be running for the hills. So I don't know for sure. <laughs> but I don't think that there is a chain covered chambers somewhere in the brain <laughs> it just made me laugh <laughs> that's all um the fight doesn't even sound like huge or i feel like compelling. they wanted i think they wanted gang vocals but they only used 
the three of them. I think this was made when it was just Fred and John and Sam and Lethal. And we've heard Lethal talk. He's not a yeller. No way. So you basically just have the three of them going, fight, fight. And um, yeah, it needs, um, yeah, it just needs a bit more. It needs a, I think you probably agree, Jenny. It needs a bit, bit more Madball to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was listening to Madball this week. Holds up. Holds up. Holds All up. It. All of it. There it is. Um, um, also, he just mentioned that when he's, um, the world can make you sick to your stomach. So I put on my headphones, listen to the Deftones. Okay. Hey, absolutely. That's fair. Your tummy hurt? Your tummy hurting a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't you put on your headphones, listen to some White Pony? Mm. How's your tummy feel now? Good. Good. Horny on the main. Oh, oh well, That's I guess sensual Chino. He's, you know, he's allowed to be horny on the main. I think, just well, by nature, he oozes that. Yeah, what a but word. He, but it's not horniness; it's raw sexuality, baby. True. When you, when you just are, when you just exist, like, yeah, he's just primal. Right. It's like he has um. Now, hear me out. Okay. But I think everybody's got a hole in their brain. Oh, okay. The, the chain section? Yeah, it's the yeah. chain section. Okay. But Chino has a different hole. It's filled with pussy. <laughs> oh, instead of chains. Instead of chains, it's just full of vaginas. Right. Okay. And when that gets shook loose, raw sexuality comes It up. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, vaginas and chains are used interchangeably. Hey, right. Mm-hmm. Um. If, for example, if Dennis Nedry had tried to pull his Jeep in Jurassic Park, if he tried to pull his Jeep <laughs> out with <laughs> several vaginas, he different probably would, movie, <laughs> different movie, he probably way different movie. I don't know if I would have been able to see that one. He probably would not have been eaten by that Dilophosaurus. Uh, could you imagine Spielberg rolls in? All right, my my dinosaur movie's done. <laughs> Put it in. They're watching it. Everyone's just like, yep. Dinosaur's coming, and then all of a sudden, Nedry pulls out his long string of vaginas to free his Jeep. Stop the movie. This, uh, this uh, to talk about Limp Bizkit a little bit more. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I, I'm not crazy about this song. Um, I'm not crazy about how casually we're talking about uh, psychosis. And, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I don't throw around like there's a chamber in everybody's brain in chains. Don't shake it loose. And then four lines, five lines prior, you mentioned Columbine. Like true. Um, you think he's a little, he will little flip about it. Way too cavalier. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm, this is just us talking in a room and me not being an expert, but that's pretty a uh, cavalier statement to say, the, uh, bullying caused this because there's a chamber in your brain that the chains, if they get pushed away, bad things happen. It's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't know. He's just, you know, what? and then, and then basically make a fat boy's reference <laughs> two seconds later. I, this, yeah. yeah. Rock I mean, as, as, as shown in the documentary, they've, finish the music for the rest of the album and then everybody leaves and John Otto's like 
Fred's got to write all those lyrics now. Don't envy that guy. Peace. <laughs> like he kind of was left alone to just figure out these lyrics, right? And then get them recorded. And then he says to Terry Date, I want to do this and this and this. And Terry Date's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, who knows? There may have been more to this Columbine line. And they were just like, he's got that blinking sign. Deadlines. Will they make it? Deadlines. Will they make it? Will they make the deadline? Will they make the deadline? Will, will the fans, fans react? Will the fans react? <laughs> will they make the deadline? Um. So, yeah, I want to mention. I we got so caught up. Um, Spin Magazine did a feature, 2003, where they had John Mayer and David Cross listen to all the hits of 2003, or all the songs of 2003, notables, and had them give their little commentary on it. They talked about songs like 50 Cent, and they talked about Justin Timberlake, Rock Your Body, and they also talked about Limp Bizkit, Eat You Alive, uh, which Spin described as a stalker anthem a la Stuntable Pilot sex type thing, apparently without the irony. Okay. So John Mayer said, it's Skid Row's monkey business. I can't tell you why, it just feels like monkey business, and the video's kind of like monkey business. If you think of its chronology on a, on a career track, it might also it also might be monkey business. And Spin said, what do you mean? And Mayer says, well, what happened to Skid Row after monkey business? And Spin said, they sort of disappeared. John Mayer nodded his head. David Cross... Never, hand- never one not to have a hot take. David Cross is handed the Limp Bizkit CD. This is all described. And he says, hmm. And Spin says, track two. And David Cross places the CD on the floor, smashes it with his bare foot, picks up the broken disc, tries to load it into the player. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get to play it. I think the CD gave me is fucked up. The machine, it's, it's not taking it. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yep. That's it. That's that. That was the whole section on this on that song. Um, how many we got left? Three, baby. Yes. So, uh, behind blue eyes is next, and that uh, all that easy is considered to be a hidden track. So then I have to ask at this point, how respectful of our time is this album? Well, believe it or not, Matt, this album is sixty-eight minutes and thirty-three seconds. Which, if you're doing new metal math, is an hour and eight minutes and thirty. So seconds. we've gone three on one. <laughs> we watched the documentary. We watched the doc. That's an hour and a half. Watch the least. watch the videos. I watched the WrestleMania footage. I watched the making of the Behind Blue Eyes video. We've listened to podcasts. He brought up Britney Spears at all. Yeah. Covered a lot of ground. Well, I guess no one knows what it's like to be the bad guy. Let's find out. What it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind blue eyes, and no one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams, they aren't as empty as my conscience seems 
last song came out, yeah. I was like, fuck this song. This is awful. And I it was played a lot. Really? In my dorm. Oh. Not in my dorm room, but like, oh yeah. The parties I would go to, which weren't that many. This was played at a party? Yeah. What? The I should specify when I'm talking about a party, I'm like people hanging out in a dorm room. Maybe it's not even a party, but people like Oh, see, when I'm thinking a party, I'm thinking Everybody who was horny on the main all week is now met up. No, 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 no. This is like people are like, what could I download off of LimeWire? Okay. And this song was, oh, God. Yeah. I hated the song. I still hate it. No, thank you. Boo. <laughs> what do you think, Warren? Revolutionized. I, I uh, didn't like the song at the time. And... I mean, this isn't why I go to Limp Bizkit. Like, if Limp Bizkit's going to cover a song, I want him to, like, rip it up. You know, like, Faith. I'm not looking to for an even softer version yeah. of a song. Like, Limp Bizkit went in the opposite direction. And then you watch the documentary. This is appears to be the first song made for the album, the way it's presented. And, and Fred's like, oh, I heard this song. Just, I just connected with it on this level. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, and then he just follows through and then like DJ lethal bless his heart, bless his heart. He's over there. Like I got to add something to this. And so then he just comes up with the L I M P believe. Is that what it says? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I uh I yeah, I was never really a fan of the song. It was on the Gothica soundtrack. A music video was made. Jenny, you gotta say, after watching the music video and then watching the making of, Holly Berry might be the greatest actress alive. Yes. Oh god, I've seen this video. Yeah, he gets to make out with Holly Berry. And the video and the making of, she's like, This is great. I love it. He's cute. Like Holly, and she sells it. She sells it. What a trooper! Yeah, it. I will never forget somebody that I used to be in shows with a lot early on. When we were writing sketches. We'd be like, "You got to write sketches where you make out with people, because that way you get to make out with people." And I was like, "No, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that." No. But when I was watching this, Mitch and I watched this on our date night, which, you know, this this documentary, and that happened. And I was like, man, this just reminds me of X person. But I was like, you got to write scenes where you make out with people. That way you get to make out with people. And I was like, Fred is, Fred's really doing it on this one. He is. Uh, Matt, um, of course, a little awkward as you did play this cover at your wedding, but all the same. Yeah, this was know. our, well... Once we once we got married, yeah, and they were like, "You can now kiss the bride." This started playing, yep. And then when we got introduced, you know, you, they usually play some fanfare of some sort. This played, right, and right. then you cut the cake were, to the song. We cut the cake to the song, yeah. and then they said, um, "Everybody, please rise for the couple's first dance." And then they restarted this song. Wow! So we yeah. played it four times. Four times at your That's wedding, day, uh, at and wedding. then you had it playing in the delivery room when your daughter was born. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 
Correct. And because my daughter has blue eyes and we didn't know it. Right. But I was like, once she came out, I was like, hit it. And they Yeah. And you and just before we started recording, you were showing us your last will and testament that says that this song has to be played on loop as we all view your casket. Correct. As uh everybody is in uh well at the wake, yeah. it is this song and been a while together. Oh wow. Both just at the same time. Both played at the same time. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yep. So that is just a little insight to my life, to my personality. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. That's great. Um, I think we're on. Well, there is the secret song. Yeah, we can hear a little bit of all that easy. Imagine you've been listening to this album for Dave. 60 minutes at this point, and this comes on. Yep, yep, yep. Just All give right. me that MC900 foot. Jesus. True. True. All right. Last song? Is this the last song? Yeah. Last song. I can't believe it. We that made it. Not, we, well, yeah, we're almost there. We're there. Oh, and it's 4.20 p.m. Drown, Yes, drown. Oh, do you think we were going out on a ripper? I was do, hoping. Do, do you think we we're going we're gonna to rip our way out of here? Rip and tear? Rip and tear? Maybe uh, activate a pit or two? Matt took his wedding ring off. Things are getting out of hand. Don't leave your wife because of this album, Matt. I can understand how you might be giving up on everything you once held sacred. Yeah, I just I pack a bindle. I'm like, <laughs> see you later, everybody. I'm gonna hit the rails because nothing matters anymore. Oh man, boy, this is this uh, is the, this is it. This is by the way, this is it. Yeah. It does not. Yeah. I, I have no thoughts on that that I haven't said already. Uh, my note on this was that this is a stained cold STP mashup. Yep. And But the guitar tone reminds me of Silverchair Abuse Me. Um, if you remember that song, it's from Freak Show. Yeah. One of, there's a line in this song that made me laugh every time. Uh, I'd like to toast all those angels that were always hanging around. <laughs> I don't. I've never imagined an angel with a drink. Oh, those uh, angels in here getting lit. Yeah. Got a couple drunk angels hanging with me. Why not? Things. Listen, if I look a little bumped up and beat up, that's just because my guardian angel's getting a little toasted. Yeah, my <laughs> guardian angel was <laughs> angels, man. Listen, my guardian angel's got an open tab, and God's picking up the bill. Yeah. God's pissed, but <laughs> yeah, but he's picking up the bill. All right, as our tradition with every Limp Biscuit album, Jenny will now read from the liner notes. Fred Durst, thank yous. It's really hard to keep afloat in a world that is sinking more and more each day, but I have managed to survive because I'm a survivor. It takes more than negativity to keep me down and block my path of ambition, desire, and destiny. 
I've never felt so alone at the same time I feel so alive. My life is my mind and my mind is my life. Giving is such a huge part of my being and I'm grateful for those who are and were on the receiving end. This life has given me more than I could ever have dreamed for. I have no agenda. I do what I do because I want and because I know nothing else. My name is Fred Durst and it's such a pleasure to be a part of your life and even more a pleasure that you're part of mine. This is for you, the fans, my band, my children, my parents, my family, Mama and Papa, Grandma and Grandpa, the big man upstairs, the ups and the downs, Jordan S., Jeff K., Pete K., Matt L., Jimmy L., Steve B., Adriana D., Dallas D., Jen T., Guy A., Rick R., Terry D., Brendan O., Andy W., Head, Elvis B., Dave H., Rick and Pete Y., Joey and Marilyn H., uh, To Exist, uh, Ron B., Teddy B., Fabio and Heather S., David S., Dave S., Corey D., Snoop D., <laughs> GMW, uh, James R., Bill P., Thora B., Sarah F., Johnny, Paco, Jason L., Richie S., Christian and Ryan S., John A., Spider, Swizz B., Joel B., Donut, Lily Z., Tim B., PRS, Terry Clever, Lobo H., Jim M., and me. That's right. Me, motherfucker. Gotta do something for yourself in this life. If I forgot anyone. Tough titty. I can't remember everything all the time. I love you anyway. Peace and believe in UFOs. There we go. If you stop by the studio, you gotta thank you. I heard that Christian ass thank you. Christian ass. Christian Snoop ass. D. Snoop D. Swiss B. Swiss B. Swiss B. Oh, man. Thora B. Thora B. <laughs> Thora B deserves a bigger thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's she's getting yelled at pretty hardcore in that video. I mean, it's hard to find a woman with substance. <sighs> we all are saying it. Yeah. Finally, somebody said it. Yeah. Uh, Me, I'm not like other girls. <sighs> I have substance. There it is. Uh, I believe it's now the time in the show where we talk about the canon. Um. I'll start. Fred's trying to make a solo record here, but also is keeping Limp Bizkit going. But he made all ballads for the most part. And it seems like the fact that they were waiting on Wes to come back and he never actually came back is what hamstrung this record. And I think maybe if they had just, when they realized he wasn't coming back, just started anew with Mike or whomever. As the full band, as Jimmy Iovine said, then they might have had something a little more substantial. As it stands, not a, I did not have a bad time with this album. Obviously, I really liked it in 2003. I said it was an album that they had to make. But, um, I mean, Eat You Alive is the only one that I like, like, like a lot. Um, but even then, as we've all pointed out, it has a bitter tinge to it that makes it mm, not as appealing as uh, those other songs. Jenny? I don't think that it's a terrible record. I just don't think that anything is canon worthy. I think you're right that Fred was kind of making a solo record. Seems like it was a very weird time in the band's career. And I think it was a weird time for this genre in general. Um, 
It seems like it was also weirdly informed by having a camera crew there the whole entire time and just waiting for Wes to come back. Um, they should have listened to Jimmy. They should have listened to Jimmy, but they didn't. Uh, that said, red light, green light will make me laugh forever. And I'd like red to. Light, <laughs> red light, green light. Red light, green light. Are you ready to roll? Let me when you're ready to roll. Uh, <laughs> you're ready to roll. I mean, Snoop Dogg's a national treasure. But uh, I would like to submit Fred Durst complaining to Christian Slater about Britney Spears for the new metal junk drawer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That yeah. just feels and like a moment that I'd like to keep. It's. I mean, what really makes it special, though, is the fact that you do not expect Christian Slater to be the person he's talking to. Because he's been complaining about Britney Spears to anyone he meets. I mean, his Jordan Schur, executive vice president of the record label, is sitting there, which I'm just sort of like, this guy's got to have more important things to do than listen to Fred Durst complain about his lady problems, right? But he's there. He's there. I bet you somebody could tell us, like, if you're a high level, that's part of the job is dealing with big egos. Artist management. Artist management is dealing with big egos with problems that aren't that big, but they just need somebody to talk to. And so you call... The most, I don't know. I'm going to call the vice president of my label. I'm, I'm dealing with some girl issues. <laughs> there we go. So uh, I, I'd say nothing in the canon, but that I would submit for the junk drawer. Matt? I know that I was very harsh on this album. You? Yeah, me. <laughs> um, it clearly isn't for me. And it is, I feel like when people say they don't like Limp Biscuit. It's this album, even though they probably have never heard this album. Yeah. It is this album that encapsulates those ideas. Because mm. if I were to put on um, Roland right now, I think we'd all be ready to party. 100%. I think I think we'd all be feeling fine. I think if we put on Nookie or Break Stuff or any of those earlier tracks, we would all be like, this is, yeah, the boys are back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun. For the most part, it's a slog through a majority of it. Uh, emotionally, it is narrow. And for the most part, it's 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 not a fun listen. So, and w- I'm looking to this band for fun, to tell the truth. They made it okay to be an outcast. They made it cool to be an outsider. And this is so inside, it's unaccessible. Uh, my opinions, of course, but no to the canon. There's no new metal on this per se. I mean, like barely. Yeah, very little. Hmm. Eat you alive is somewhat close, but it is a lot more. There's moments like there's a couple songs right that are like yeah. I I put it as that the the new metal tag is on here partially because Limp Bizkit is always going to inherently be new metal. Yeah, it's built into their DNA, and that. It has enough rapping tracks on it that the tag makes sense. I don't know if I'd necessarily put it as the first tag on this album. I probably would have put it as the third or fourth. Uh, but I still feel like it has, you know, it's it's Limp Bizkit. It's, it's new metal, um, ultimately, at the end of the day. So there you have it, everybody. Another Limp Bizkit episode in the can. Possibly our most epic ever. You know, we'll get you through a couple trips to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And that's it for the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Keep on saying hello to us online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Roach Coach on all of those. Of course, Coach with a K. Or send us an email, roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, your recommendations, your stories. Tell us about the times that you were horny on the main and how that worked out for you. Or not. Until next time. Jenny, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt. Matt. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. funny how time flies. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, right. Once again, back is the incredible. Subliminal. The incredible D. Once down in the dirt. And I ain't even got a shade when I'm going to work.